continuing to play this little game. When we all know it is moved to the next stage. All right, and here is the next stage of Lost Lives Returns, week three of Lost Lives Returns here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler. I am your host here at Lost Lives Returns. So the off chance that you are just tuning into Lost Lives Returns for the first time, first of all, welcome. Nice to have you aboard. It's been really fun here. We're having a great time. I would also recommend that you go back and listen at least to the prior two Lost Lives Returns podcasts. That we have done here on Post Show Recaps. But just to catch you and everybody up on what we are doing here, this is a limited edition run of Lost Podcasting here on Post Show Recaps. A little thank you to the people who pushed Post Show Recaps to win a podcast award this year for Best Film and TV. We won that category. It was awesome. It remains awesome. And so some awesome Lost Podcasting happening for you as a result of that through September. Then we will be done with Lost Podcasting for who knows? We'll see. Well, maybe we'll bring it back at some point we're having a really fun time right now so hopefully this would not be the end of loss but it is only a limited run for right now we're up to week three we're having a really good time we've got a lot to do today so we're going to hop right into it pretty soon but just to set the table for what's going on one of the things that we do here on loss lives returns is we watch a random episode of lost every single week we talk through just an episode that we've randomly picked through episodegenerator.com or perhaps by other means at some point in the future and this week we have selected Enter 77 Season 3 Saeed Jara flashback episode, really underrated episode of Lost as far as I'm concerned. We're going to talk that episode through with my partner in crime for all things involving the Lost Lives Returns rewatch. That's Emily Fox, my wife, who is a very fun person to talk through Lost with, has been killing it on these podcasts. So Emily and I will come on later here to talk about Enter 77. But before that, we will do another segment we have guest coming in and out of the Lost Lives Returns podcasts. Every single week, a different guest is showing up to talk about a different thing in the Lost universe, a topic that they would like to discuss. This week, Mike Bloom is that guest. He is going to be on here talking about Wrecked, which is a TBS 10-episode comedy parody series parodying Lost. Believe it or not, there is a show on the air right now that is a direct parody of Lost. Someone decided that this would be a good idea for a television television show several years after Lost went off the air. We'll talk about whether or not that was a good idea, a bad idea. Maybe the answer will surprise you, but Mike has seen every single episode of the 10-episode first season of Wrecked. I've seen the first two episodes of the show, and the show has been renewed for a second season already. So Mike and I, we will talk through all of that stuff, but one of the big big ideas, one of the biggest picture ideas that we are doing across all of these Lost Lives Returns podcasts is exploring the possibility of Lost 2. What if ABC and Disney and Damon and Carlton and whoever else is involved or needs to be involved, what if, my friends, someone decides that we have to go back? At some point in the future, what if Lost returns? What if it's not just Lost Lives that returns, but Lost Proper that returns? That was one of our favorite conversations to explore during the original run of Lost Lives, and we have blown that up. We have taken that idea, and we have blown it up large here on Lost Lives Returns. Every week, we are are talking with our guests about what a lost sequel 
could look like, what it should involve, what it might involve. Is it going to happen? Is it inevitable? Who needs to be back? Who needs to be kept away from the thing? This week is no exception. Mike Bloom is going to be talking about all that stuff. So we're going to get to that section of the podcast first before we do the episode rewatch. And just to cue things up, we teased this at the end of last week's podcast, as we will do every week. We previewed what Mike had to say about Lost 2. He sketched out his ideal first scene for the Lost reboot. And in case you need to be refreshed on that, here is Mike Bloom's take on what Lost 2 would entail. This is how Lost 2 would start in his book. Hi, this is Mike Bloom, and this is my pitch for Lost 2. We open on an eye, because of course we open on an eye. A powder blue eye, in fact. This eye is scanning, moving back and forth, contemplating each and every object it passes over until it finally stops on one. We then see coins drop into the slot of a vending machine as an Apollo candy bar begins to fall out and then gets stuck. The eye belongs to a man who proceeds to then bang on the machine, tries to pry his hands into it, then finally lets out a beleaguered sigh in what turns out to be an office break room. Well, we track behind him as he leaves the break room, and we see an office decked out with cubicles and chatty co-workers, the like. The camera lingers on a quote on the wall, which reads, Prevention is the number one reason people live longer lives today. The man reaches his cubicle, puts his bag down, and boots up his computer. The logo of the Hanso Foundation suddenly comes to life on the screen with a, a simple welcome displayed welcome. below it. I'm Dr. You didn't need to come in today. The man suddenly looks up and sees a female co-worker peering over his cubicle. I know, but it it helps to take my mind off things. <laughs> At least it gets me away from the family for a good eight hours. I'm so sorry for your loss. She seemed like an amazing woman. What she went through for you, she trails off. Not exactly sure how that sentence should be finished. A moment of silence, and then... To be honest, it's been a nightmare. Making the arrangements, buying the casket, trying to figure out who to call and give news to. Honestly, all I want to do right now is just tune out my mind and work on this mental health summary for the donors. His computer finally finishes booting and he begins to distractedly tap on his keyboard. The female co-worker looks worried, then ducks out of frame, seemingly to grab something on her desk. She soon emerges. Well... Even amidst the recent course of events, I didn't forget what day it was. It's small, but I could tell it's something you've always wanted. She reaches over the cubicle wall and hands him something. Turns out to be the Apollo candy bar that was just stuck in the machine. It has a post-it note on it with a ribbon drawn on, some sort of white collar representation of a gift. The man accepts the candy bar and even ekes out a smile. The woman simply replies... Happy birthday, Aaron. And dips once again below eye level. The camera pans around to reveal the nameplate on the cubicle. Aaron Littleton, Associate Director of Project Development and Research, the Hanso Foundation. The screen cuts to black. Lost. 
right, there you have it. That is the beginning of Lost 2, according to Mike Bloom. And here he is, Mike Bloom. <coughs> I'm sorry. That's as far as I go. Oh, don't up. cough. Is that the, the smoke from the flame burning down yes. that's gotten into your lungs? Yes, it is. It's after we blew up Mikhail Station, and I have just suffered from extreme smoke inhalation, smoke monster inhalation. Uh, the man in black is inside you now, so we only have a oh, short God. amount of time until you take over. Oh, my God. I don't know how to feel about that. Anyway, let's move on from that for now. Mike, how are you? Mike Bloom, welcome to Lost Lives Returns. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. I mean, I'm super excited to be doing this for a variety of reasons. One of them, that the listeners of Post Show Recaps were so fervent in their voting that they allowed us to do this. Secondly, because I, I at least had the narrative in my head that, as you mentioned, the last podcast that happened in the original Lost Lives were us covering the end and exodus and there was right. a little part of me that felt a little bit of guilt that i felt i had killed lost lives that i <laughs> yeah, like was the clark the- curse had rubbed off on you during your conversations on once upon a time with kurt and you had brought it over to Lost. i don't lives. know if it's the clark curse or just the bounty of curses that affected once upon a time but yes that is absolutely true but like mikhail we are back from the dead, uh, holding a metaphoric grenade next to the looking glass no. station for these next few weeks. So who's, who's, I am, who's I am going to die? To who's going to drown? Uh, uh, the listenership, I oh, guess. Oh, God, In no terrible. way, shape, or form. No, no. You're going to drown in content as we are drowning exactly. you in so much Lost Lives coverage. Surround and drown. Surround and drown you with Lost Lives coverage. No, as you mentioned, like the only reason Lost Lives did return, I'm sure we would have done a Lost podcast at some point in the future, but I really did have an itch to do some more Lost talk uh we pegged it to trying to win a post show uh post show recaps win a podcast award that was the goal uh if we had won two awards we would have done a full-scale lost season one rewatch frankly i'm kind of glad we only won the one because this is fun i'm having a really good time talking to a bunch of different people doing you know the occasional random recap with emily i think that's really fun as well but i'm loving exploring the possibility of lost two which was a very lost lives thing that was like the recurring gag that we kept bringing up throughout Lost Lives, and it makes sense to me that the sequel to Lost Lives would focus on a theoretical sequel to Lost, and I know that every single person, whether they'd like to admit it or not, has had thoughts on the subject. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a show that is such a, not only a touchstone of the 2000s culture, but also for all on behalf of all of us hosts here of our own personal TV histories and of way of speaking our lives, I've definitely thought about what would Lost 2 look like, especially since, and you and Antonio kind of talked about this in your podcast last time, it seems like we're in a very big culture of rebranding in the past few years between things like Fuller House and Ghostbusters and going all the way back to, you know, Michael Bay's Transformers and Ninja Turtles franchise. It feels like we are now in an age where bringing things back is the cool thing to do. Now, granted, Lost they is probably They rebooted little... Pete's Dragon for Pete's sake. Like, I know, every... exactly. <laughs> Everything is getting remade. Those those I can understand. That and Jungle Bug I can understand because those are, what, like 40, sometimes 50 years old. Lost and these other 90s franchises are a little harder to explain because they are within a generation's cultural landscape. Right. But that being said, since it's the thing to do, you have to imagine that it's got to be on ABC's brain at least a little bit. The idea of bringing it back, I don't know if it would be a 
sequel or a companion piece a la Heroes Reborn, or if it would just be a, here's the island, let's throw a bunch more people on it. That's a little bit to be determined, but that being said, I feel like in the past year, it has become much more in the realm of possibility. Yeah, I mean, that is the question that I asked Antonio at the end of uh, our talk the other day, or the other week, rather, and it's something I plan on asking everybody, but just the question of, is Lost going to come back? Will Lost return is a question I want to ask everybody. Is it inevitable? Do you feel that it's inevitable that Lost will come back? I wonder if they're going to do something like what happened with Blair Witch, where what if they advertised a show that took place on an island but had seemingly nothing to do, same similar tone type of show, but seemingly nothing to do with Lost. Then they make a big reveal either in their publicity or like in the first couple of episodes that this is the exact same island from Lost and that it's all connected. So you're saying that Wrecked is secretly Lost too? Well, it might be. I know they said they, they film on Puerto Rico instead of Hawaii, but I, you could very reasonably see Hurley and Ben come out of the jungle to encounter these oafish types of people. And that being said, uh, they probably get shot by some character at some point which would be a definite harbinger of doom to our collective lost loving souls but that being said i i think there could be a possibility of an entirely different tangential like story existing on the island without the creators feeling like they need to bring back these actors and bring back these characters I think it'd be really tough to do, like, the surprise loss, too, the way that you're referring to this horror movie, The Woods, that people were really, really freaking out over, and then suddenly it was revealed at Comic-Con that The Woods is actually a stealth Blair Witch sequel. I feel like it'd be harder to pull that off with a TV show because you would know that Disney or ABC had some sort of hand in whatever this island drama, this mysterious new island drama coming out was, and then suddenly it's lost, too, unless they filmed it completely in secret. Which, well, that could be cool, yeah. but I, I just, I don't know logistically how it plays out. But yeah, I mean, if you were to wake up one morning and find out that a trailer for an actual true blue Lost 2 existed on the internet, I don't know about you, at least me, I'd be pretty fired up in one way or the other. Maybe pumped, maybe pissed, but I would definitely be incensed one way or the well, other. Well, I think maybe the way to do the surprise then would be to take a show on one of the ABC networks that you think would have no involvement whatsoever and then tie it back to Lost. For example... The show uh, Dead of Summer, I believe it's called, from the Once Upon a Time guys, Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, about a summer camp, involves Elizabeth Mitchell. Now, we know Juliet's fate in Lost proper, but what if somehow they reveal in the middle of it that it turns out to be a Dharma Initiative summer camp? You know, I feel like that's (laughs) something that could come out of nowhere, but would be a fun way to kind of connect itself to the Lost universe without having to say, great. Where did all these characters leave off? That being said, I am probably totally undercutting myself because in my own Lost 2 pitch, I took a character that was from the previous iteration and continued his story. All right, so let's start talking about this. So you guys heard at the top of the show Mike's pitch for Lost 2. We we talked through Antonio's vision of Lost 2. That involved uh, the return of Walt. Mike's pitch involves the return of Aaron, a surprise drop of Aaron at the end of that scene. Can you talk me through your ideas, where this came from, what you wanted to explore here with your pitch for Lost 2? So as Antonio alluded to last time, him and I did do admittedly a little bit of colluding or at least a little bit of commiserating in terms of thinking about together what are some unresolved items, mysteries, entities that left the show that we would like to know about a little bit that we could develop. Because, again, you know, as much as you might decry or love the end, I felt like a lot of our main character stories got wrapped up in a tight, neat little package. 
So you have to think about, okay, what questions were unanswered that we can kind of bring in the old fans while still exploring it with the new fans. Uh, the one big one that we talked about together was the Hanso Foundation, which is the main benefactor of the Dharma Initiative. I believe it was talked about a little bit in seasons two and three. I think most of the knowledge from it is gleaned from the Lost Experience. Yeah, the alternate reality game, yeah. Exactly. Uh, back when, you know, I think they were really ahead of the trend. I feel like you could totally do a VR game nowadays where you could be in the hatch doing stuff. Uh, I feel like Lost might have just uh, been a little too ahead of its time there. But that being said, the Hanzo Foundation was something that, you know, experimented on animals and was talking about mental health and possibly utilizing scientific experiments on people. And it was such a cool concept, especially considering nowadays when there's a lot of young adult dystopian types of universes that have large scientific corporations as their big bads. Unfortunately, the show decided not to focus on the Hanso Foundation, but I know Antonio and I thought that that was something that would be easily explored because, I mean, this is something that exists off-island for all intents and purposes, even though their website is up-to-date in 2006 and it really hasn't updated itself 10 years later. It still does exist on the mainland, and so maybe you could have it interacting with the island in some sort of way or with our characters. And so personally, the other aspect that I was really thinking about is the character of Aaron. And maybe I'm the only person that thought about this when I watched Lost for the first time. Maybe it's because I was kind of a kid when I watched it, but I was always thinking about Aaron, especially when we got into the later seasons and he's raised by Kate, in terms of thinking about how screwed up is this kid going to be? I mean. He was raised by another, to quote an episode title. Then, if you think about the ramifications from the end, his birth mother is going to fly back in this plane, and then Kate's probably going to come to him and say, like, hey, this is your real mother. And then who knows what information she might give away to him about everything that happened on the island and you know how he was born and how he was possibly experimented on in the you know in other Dharma stations. You have to imagine that this guy is probably going to, I wouldn't say he'd be, you know, screwed up as much as, I think it might affect the way he lives his life. And so I want to kind of follow him as a character, especially in his adult life. And so I was trying to think, do I go with the Hanso Foundation? Do I go with Aaron? Why not both? Let's be greedy here. Let's combine both. So I came up with this idea of having uh, a grown-up Aaron Littleton actually work for the Hanso Foundation. And so I thought that could be kind of a great way of not only exploring what possibilities the Hanso Foundation might have in terms of the workings on the island nowadays, or maybe none whatsoever, but also following where Aaron has been, what's he doing now, and what is he going to do? We know that there's going to be some sort of force that will probably connect him back to these characters and back to the island, so I'd be excited to see once he does get connected, what he does from there on out. Yeah, well, I think that either way, like, no matter, we don't know how involved the Hanzo Foundation is in anything, because as we discussed, it really was more an ARG. It was more sort of like outside of the prism of Lost proper, what was going on with the Hanzo Foundation. Like, they reference it very quickly in the Swan Station video. It never really manifests in any way, shape, or form. I remember me and my college buddies, we used to be speculating, like, all right, so season two is going to end with all of our Hanzo 
landing on a helicopter on the middle of the island, and that's going to be this big moment. And nothing like that ever happened. Sure, people came to the island, but there was no Hanzo in sight, and that was completely resolved outside of Lost, which was a little annoying at the time, but it's kind of whatever now. But this is a way that you're proposing to kind of tie them back in a little bit more, maybe explore what other businesses had dealings with the island, who was funding the Dharma Initiative, perhaps. Um, So we don't know the answers to any of that, but getting a character that we do recognize, granted a character who we wouldn't be able to recognize on site in your pitch for Lost 2, considering two different actors played Aaron, a baby, and then a toddler, and who knows if there were... One step step removed from Bobby Draper. Right, yes, yeah, he he didn't do the full Bobby Draper hat trick, but he came close, and we don't know how many stunt babies or stunt toddlers were in the mix there. Oh, God, I don't want to think about the term stunt babies, because it seems to imply that these babies are getting involved (laughs) in very dangerous things. Well, on on the island, you never know. I don't know. I don't know if it's like the Duschendorf twins from Ghostbusters 2 or the Olsen twins from Full House. I don't know how many different people were playing Aaron. But either way, we wouldn't recognize the actor who's playing Aaron now. So that name tag reveal would definitely be an awesome reveal in the beginning of Lost 2. But also it's a character that we do have connection with through Claire, through Kate, through everybody who interacted with Aaron and through the fact that Aaron was born on the island and suddenly now is in the belly of the Hanso Foundation opens up a few different story opportunities. Yeah, and I also included the element in the in the intro that I made about the fact that someone close to him has died. Yes. And I, I sort of made it a little vague as to whether, you know, we don't know, again, what happened when Claire revealed herself as her birth mother to Aaron. Maybe he spurned her. Maybe he embraced her. So theoretically, this could be, you know, this could be Kate dying or this could be Claire dying. But I think... Again, the the big question about Lost 2 is how much do you want to bring in these characters from the original Lost? And maybe having a character die could be an interesting way to kind of bring everyone who's off-island together again and have them sort of figure out, okay, are they going to have to take this body in a coffin over to the island? Maybe that's a type of thing. But that could be a nice little unifying event to once again bring all these characters in from different corners of the world. And especially having this character who died be a mother figure to Aaron as well. Like you said with Antonio, it's all about familiar relations. That's a big theme on Lost, fathers and sons. Mothers and sons are not so much talked about, but I feel like this is one of the rare examples where it really is applicable. And so how is Aaron affected by this? And, you know, what what is his own familial situation like? Is he married? Does he have a kid? How is that going to affect how he views things? So I feel like Aaron is a big blank canvas, a turnip-shaped canvas, if you will, that, that we can paint a story onto. Yeah, no, I think so, absolutely. I was really intrigued by that piece that someone close to Aaron had died, and my brain was starting to, you know, go in all sorts of different directions where it could be Kate, it could be Claire, maybe it's somebody else, maybe he got to really know Sun very well, who knows? Oh, I hope so. Even though that would mean Sun would be dead, which would break my heart. Yeah, as the number one Quan fan, uh, that would be that would be devastating for you. No, may- maybe you'd give her a mercy killing so they don't come up with another storyline like Sun forgets to learn English. Well, granted, Sun is actually already dead at this point, so she would have had to have come back from being drowned, so I doubt that it's actually Sun. So, uh, who knows who, who it would maybe, be? Maybe it's, maybe it's Gion. Yes, that's right. Oh, that would be brutal. That would be devastating. Oh, uh, now I just realized I was the biggest Quan fan. How did I not put Gion into I my know, intro? I know, I <laughs> know. Well, when Lost Lives Returns gets rebooted, you'll have your second shot. Uh, but I, th- I think that there's a lot of different, different possibilities you could go to, and I was trying to figure out where your head was at 
at. Just a little behind-the-scenes detail. I do the scoring on these lost two introductions. So I put the Giacchino score underneath everything. Wiggle Kino. Yeah, Wiggle Kino. And so that's that's fun for me, first of all, just because like it's fun to sort of start shaping the emotion of the scene. And it's only one person's interpretation of it. But these two scenes that we've gotten so far between you and Antonio have, to me, felt like they've had very specific directions they go in. With Antonio's, the reveal that a bird had slammed into the house uh, for Walt seemed to be a horrific revelation. So to bring in some horrific lost music felt like the right thing to do there. Um, and here, with yours, it felt like a very heroic revelation that Aaron is back, and this seems like this is going to be our hero of this story. And it's also just this very cool, emotional reveal. So I had the Oceanic Six theme playing underneath that, Aaron being one of the Oceanic Six, so it's partly his theme as well. But when we got to talking about Aaron has lost somebody, somebody in his life is gone, I was tempted to put some Patsy Cline under there, uh, or at mm. least somewhere in the scene, which is certainly a totem for Kate, and my interpretation would be that something had happened to Kate. But I decided to remove that. I thought it would be better if it was more of a mystery, and I don't know how that would play out over the course of a loss, too. I feel like since that mm. seems like such an emotional thing that had happened so recently to Aaron, it doesn't feel like whoever died close to him would be a secret for too long. It would feel yeah. like probably, right? Like, you have to expose that at some point soon. Yeah, this is not season four's flash forward of not showing the coffin until the very right. last second of the season finale. That being said, I mean, who would you prefer out of the two? If, if you're writing this story and you're continuing this storyline along, would you rather see Kate or Claire in the coffin? Well, it, you know, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, if the goal is to bring a bunch of different characters from Lost back together to, you know, interact with the island again, to have some sort of common reason for everybody to get together. I feel like probably Kate is the one that would bring people together sooner. Uh, certainly has a connection to Sawyer. That brings Sawyer into the mix pretty fast. Kate and Hurley were both part of the Oceanic Six together. That would bring Hurley potentially into the mix. I just don't know who is who's better connected, Claire or Kate. And I think that Kate is probably better connected. So killing her off would bring more people. And I also think probably if you're thinking about it from like the business side of things, who can you get back for Lost to? Can mm. you get Emily DeRaven or can you get Evangeline Lilly? Who, which one is a gettable character actor? <laughs> well, uh, that being said, Emily DeRaven is known to put herself under sleeping curses in Once Upon a Time. So you could easily get her out for like three or four episodes to lay in a coffin to do so. And I think Evangeline Lilly is tearing it up as one of the superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or she was in The Hobbit or whatever. She is seemingly having a pretty good mainstream career. I think of all the actors on Lost as the person who's in the most high-profile pro projects right now. So I feel like you're not going to get Kate as easily as you're going to get Claire. So maybe you kill Kate off. And also, I am very interested to see what Claire looks like now, having gone cuckoo <laughs> banana pants on the island in season six. Is she okay now? Is she at the mental hospital that Hurley spent so much time in? Is there something wrong with Claire still? Or is she a better, you know, is she a queerer person now? Who knows? But that could be fun to explore. I think if you remember the crazy cat lady from The Simpsons, I'm pretty sure Claire will <laughs> resemble her at this point in Lost 2. Yeah, that is her fate, that she is just going to go on and be a crazy cat person. But I think that you hit on something, too, in just talking through Aaron and why Aaron is an interesting character is who knows what he knows. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. he is a baby throughout his entire time, a stunt baby or an actual baby throughout his entire time <laughs> on the island, physically on the island during Lost. And then when he comes off of the island 
and it's, you know, however many years in the future at the height of the Oceanic 6 stuff. He's like three, four years old. Kids always napping or hearing some sort of bedtime story or eating cereal. That's probably the most awake he ever is. Are you implying that he grows up to be Walter Jr. on Breaking Bad? Yes, he just loves pancakes. He can't get enough. Uh, I think think the point is, like, who knows what he knows? And by the time that Kate and Claire and everybody else who takes off on that Ajira flight off of the island in the end, whenever they get back, who knows what Aaron is able to get? Kate is the only mother he has ever known. Uh, How is Kate going to explain to little Aaron that this is your actual mom, this is Claire, she's your real mom, when Claire herself is really in no condition to raise a child? On top of that, Kate wasn't supposed to leave the state of California, let alone the Mm -hmm. United States, let alone go back to the Lost Island. Time has passed. What happens to Kate when Kate returns on this Ajira flight? Is she arrested on the spot? You know, what's the deal? What happens to her? You got to imagine it's not going to be an immediately happy ending and something probably not so great is going to happen to her. She's going to get locked up or whatever. So who's even around to explain anything to Aaron? Does Sawyer have to swoop in and become like (laughs) surrogate foster father to Aaron? Like who has to raise this kid after this? So there's a lot of possibilities with Aaron if you're just trying to follow things logically. Like Kate is not going to be able to go right back and be his mom. You know, maybe, maybe eventually, but not immediately. And that being said, even just focus on the Oceanic Six of it all, this kid has practically become a celebrity when he was a child. What do you think that's like? You know, it's like if we're monitoring baby Jessica who fell down the well in her adult life. Is he, you know, getting people stopping him and, and, you know, pointing out who he was? Is he purposely more sheltered as a result? I feel like that. Yeah, he has like a a signing booth at Wizard World New Orleans or whatever. Like he's like, that's like how he made his money before somebody came along and was like, hey, celebrity kid, do you want a job at the Hanzo Foundation? Yeah, exactly. Maybe he decided to take an office job to sort of shelter himself from the public eye in a way. And maybe there, you know, maybe if, if he has to go back to the island, maybe he's initially resistant for a variety of reasons. One of them being that this is the island that associated him with this level of fame that he didn't even know too much about when he was a kid. So this. The interesting thing that I really wanted to bring Aaron in about is that he's basically been there almost from the beginning, whether in utero or out, uh, for essentially the entire series, even though he kind of gets left on the mainland in season five. He's been through a lot, almost side by side with these people. What sort of effect, if any, is it going to have on this guy, especially when he grows into his adult life? And how is that going to affect how he interacts with them as a result? Is something I just, again, I wasn't presenting too many answers to it in typical Lost fashion, but I feel like it's something that you could really focus on, especially just orienting it around Aaron as a character. So what do you think happens next for Aaron? Have you thought through where this would go? We Obviously, we have to reveal that Aaron is alive, is an adult now, someone who he was close to has just died, whether it's his mother or it's Kate or it's somebody else. It's a woman in his life, we find out. He also has a real affinity for Apollo bars, apparently. Yeah, as does everyone in the... Uh shared lost universe i know that you guys were talking last week about mccutcheon whiskey which does appear on once upon a time so do apollo bars so yeah everyone seems to have a sweet tooth for that and let's chips across the uh, the tv spectrum did you have any sense of who the woman he was interacting with his his colleague at the hanzo foundation who gives him the apollo bar on his birthday did you have any idea of who that might be 
I just had a hunch that it was, if you ever saw Office Space, it was like the analog of the Case of the Mondays woman. I don't think any sort of actual relation to him, just like a colleague. Uh, so no one who's going to be massively important later on down the line. I wouldn't think so. I mean, a perspective path I can see us going down with Aaron would be, again, I don't think after the Oceanic 6 got revealed, I don't think the, the Hanso Foundation's relations to the Dharma Initiative really came to the surface that much. It could be interesting to see, it, with Aaron working for the Hanso Foundation, if he stumbles across some sort of file or some sort of meeting where he finds it connects back to the actions on the island that he was born on. That could be a way for him to kind of pique his interest a bit and to get him involved with the plot, albeit begrudgingly, because, again, you might imagine that he doesn't necessarily want to interact with these people that much. Right. Yeah, no, It's there's a lot of different possibilities to go in with that character. I also think it's interesting that it's Aaron's birthday during the story, so this is obviously a very important day in Lost lore. We have seen Aaron's birth on Lost. We've seen it a couple of times, one in real time and then the other time when Sawyer flashes back while the frozen Don Donkey wheel is unhinged and the island Mm -hmm. is skipping through time and he witnessed it once upon a time. So once again, it would be very poignant for Sawyer to step in and be Aaron's stepdaddy. You know, there's there's a possible connection there. Definitely. Uh, Or maybe he gets haunted by the ghost of Boone since he died on that day. I was going to say that it only struck me now that Aaron's birthday is Boone's death day and that your story debuted on the episode of Lost Lives where we talked about Boone the most by far and hopefully we'll ever have talked about Boone the most. Uh, so I think that that I think that's pretty good. I like that a lot. Yeah, definitely. Or maybe it'll be like you brought up Death Day. Maybe it'll be like a Harry Potter esque type of you know folklore where Boone appears to celebrate his own Death Day, and Aaron is invited, and he gets to consort with all the other ghosts. And it turns out, like Miles, he has a power to talk to the to the dead in the afterlife. Yeah, well, that's the thing too. I mean, we talked about how Walt is so special, and how how Walt remains pretty unexplained by the end of Lost. But this was a huge, huge thing for Aaron too, where you know the fortune teller is. T- telling Claire he can't be raised by another. You have to raise him. And it's speculated that the fortune teller, if he knew what was going on, basically sentenced Claire to banishment on the island with the kid. There seem to be all these reasons why Claire has to be the one who raises Aaron. Aaron is special. Why is Aaron special? Is Aaron special in your vision of Lost 2? And if so, what superpowers does he have? Just the ability to take a nap anywhere he wants? The ability to conjure cereal wherever he needs to, though apparently he can... Maybe he hasn't unlocked his powers to procure food yet because he can't get that candy bar out of the machine. I definitely think Aaron is at a, as a point where even if he's been informed as to what happened on the island, I don't think he knows exactly how special he is. And so maybe whether or not we're tying this into Walt, whether or not Antonio's scene and my scene are serving as a collective narrative or separately, it could be interesting to see maybe these two at separate sides of the backgammon board, if you will. If Aaron does indeed have powers to see an Aaron versus Walt, a lost next generation type of face off could be super interesting. Oh, that's so brutal. That's horrible. I don't know who to root for. I'm rooting for Walt. I know exactly who to root for. Yeah, well, and and Aaron is definitely the underdog from that perspective, but it could be something interesting as well. If he does indeed have some sort of special abilities, there is this idea of maybe the youth of the island now all grown up kind of have to band together or face off against each other against some sort of big bad or some sort of thing that is coming for them. So 
again, like you said, there were huge uh, hanging chads, if you will, will, that were left by... Hanging Charlies, but left yeah, by exactly. Ethan. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but Jack saved him. He breathed some life into those hanging yes. Charlies, so yes. he was able to win the 2000 election. Uh, there... <laughs> There was there was a lot of you know question marks left at when Aaron's with Aaron's story because he was a baby. There's not much that unless you're Jack Jack from The Incredibles, your babies aren't really utilizing powers anytime soon. So that being said, and I'm going to tie it back to Heroes Reborn, you know there could be this idea that an adult Aaron has abilities that he doesn't even realize that need to be unlocked. Maybe a metaphoric Richard Alpert could visit with a modicum of objects for him to pick out, if you will. But that could be an interesting path to go down as well. Yeah. I think also, you know, just to talk about Jack-Jack and Jack-Jack Shepard and his relation to Aaron, you know, being Aaron's uncle, that's another cool reason to kind of follow Aaron as your entry point into Lost. Not everyone loves Jack. Certainly uh, the Lost Lives co-pilot here, Emily Fox, famously said Jack is a dick. Uh, Not everybody is a big fan of that character but he's the central character of lost such as there is one and certainly by the end of the thing he's the final person that we see on the show the first image that we see on the show is his eye opening the final one is his eye uh, his eye closing so to have somebody who is blood related to jack to kind of continue that line and have it be someone like aaron that's another cool way to connect back to the original series yeah and who knows maybe you know in jack's death he left some sort of sum of money to Aaron. So maybe Aaron has sort of some sort of connection to Jack in that regard as well. I agree. I've left you this sum of money and this history of alcoholism. Good luck. Yes, I, we could see, again, depending on how Aaron took the news of what happened to him and his family on the island, he could definitely be hitting the McCutcheon in the break room as well. We're not entirely see. sure. Yeah. And also what's interesting about that, too, is as far as Aaron was concerned, uh, Jack was a father figure to him. You know, he was going to marry Kate. He was going to marry Aaron's quote-unquote mother. He could have been raising him as his own son, but actually is his uncle. It's getting a little Game of Thrones in here, I feel like. Definitely, definitely. So hopefully nobody pushes Aaron out of a window by the end of my yeah. intro package to Lost Lives. Yeah, stay, stay away from all windows. But do you think that a loss, too, I mean, we opened with Antonio's prediction, or his uh, his pitch, rather, of it focusing on Walt, or at least starting with Walt. Yours started with Aaron. So we are starting on both of these with second generations of Losties, of the people who were around for the original run, who were just kids at the time. Do you feel like a Lost, too, would have to follow the second generation if not as the central focus at least in terms of bringing those characters into the mix would it be a missed opportunity not to go down that road i'm gonna be real nerdy here and talk about digimon for a second uh, yes i love digimon <laughs> so in the second season of digimon yes. if you recall Th- doesn't like the little kid grow up yes. and he's now the main character so TK, tk and kari who are the two little kids from, <laughs> unbelievable from i can't do i can't do the names but i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad you do because I did not want to yeah. be playing to dead air for the next. No, like, I got minutes. it. I got it. I'm with you. I'm still but with yeah. you. Everybody else is out, but I'm here. I'm so here. TK and Kari, they were the two littlest kids from the Digi Destined in the original iteration of Digimon, and they kind of became part of the crew in the second edition. And they were not necessarily above everyone else. They had their own sort of 
you know, connections to their own Digimon, if you will. But I almost feel like you could do a similar thing with Lost 2, where you can bring in people from the old guard, but these people from the old guard were only sort of tangentially involved. Aaron was not directly in, you know, Aaron was not driving the Dharma van into the others and taking them out. Uh, Aaron was not getting into a submarine while Saeed had the bomb. Wouldn't that have been amazing, though? Just like a, <laughs> see, now that would have been a call for the stunt, stunt baby. baby. All right, stunt yes. baby, you gotta drive that van. I just imagine, like, a bunch of phone books tied to the gas pedal. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think that could be the way to do it of saying, you know, we're appeasing the old school fans by bringing back these characters and expounding a little bit on maybe some mysteries that were circulating around them that we really couldn't utilize because they were children, but still bringing in a new guard and developing new stories, not feeling like you have to continue stories as an epilogue to what you've already ended. So I feel like this is like the perfect sweet spot in between where you can digivolve your franchise, if you will. Oh, my God. I love that you brought Digimon into Lost 2, <laughs> as if this couldn't be more perfect. All right, so let me ask you some of the other questions that I asked Antonio, and I want to ask everybody who comes on to talk about Lost 2. So first off, is Lost 2 coming back? Yes or no, what is your vote? I would say yes, but again, I don't know if it would be branded as like a Lost 2 as much as it might be. I wouldn't even call it like Lost the Next Generation. I just think it's another type of story that would happen on that island. I think right. they might try to, especially after watching Heroes Reborn kind of crash and burn in a way, they might try to steer away from let's do so much fan service of bringing back these old characters that it makes things pretty rote. I think they want to try to work, and I feel like you know Damon and Carlton would definitely be behind this, of creating a new type of story and a new set of characters that happens to take place in the same setting. Okay, and if Lost 2 happens, when will it happen? Make your prediction. Give me a year that you think it'll happen. I mean, I think 2020 that you guys predicted is a good one, and then you can do the 2020 special on the 2020 premiere of yes. Lost. Maybe, if you know, 2024 would be the 20-year anniversary of the of the first crash landing, if you will, of the pilot. That could be a thing. But, you know, TV sometimes likes to save things for those big memorial occasions, but sometimes they just like to bring it out of the blue. So I would not be surprised if they do it on an off year from those two landmark years. Who is a must-return to Lost? Who is a character maybe that we haven't talked about much on this podcast yet that absolutely would have to be back on Lost if Lost were to return for a Lost 2? It's got to be Hurley. I mean, yeah. Jorge has a – he has property. He lives in Hawaii. He could walk into his backyard and record a scene. I feel like there is no excuse not to bring him back, especially because Hurley was also such a big fan favorite character. He could do even the Bob Saget in Fuller House and just sort of appear in a couple of episodes and make some comments and then kind of leave. He could kind of fade away however he'd want to, especially since Hurley is on the island last we see him before we see him in the Sideways universe. I feel like you have to bring him back. Completely agreed. The more I think about it, the more I think it's a no-brainer that Hurley is the guy that would have to come back. More so than Ben, even. More so uh, Antonio. And Antonio, who who knows how much I love Locke, maybe was just playing to my Locke-loving heart that Terry O'Quinn, maybe he is the connective tissue. He's certainly one of the most recognizable characters on Lost. But every version of Locke is dead by the end of the original <laughs> Lost. So figuring out how to bring Terry O'Quinn in would be great, and I'm open to it, but it would be difficult. Whereas 
Hurley is left in charge of the island. He is the big, jolly guy throughout the whole show. He is the audience surrogate, and for that person now to appear in the sequel series as the Jacob, as the guy who's in charge, as the guy who holds the answers, is a great evolution of that character. Narratively makes so much sense that he would be on the show, and in terms of recognizability of an actor associated with Lost, he's pretty close to the top of the list. So I totally agree. I think it's got to be Hurley. Um, Who's the please, no, don't for Mike Bloom? Who is the person that please, no, don't bring that person back if we are doing Lost 2? I mean, I know he's dead, but I just feel like they butchered Saeed's character so much in that final season that I'm actually afraid on behalf of the character to bring him back and toy with him more. Yeah, no, this is going to be a very Saeed-heavy episode of Lost Lives Returns today as we're going to be talking about Enter 7-7 later. Give me your broad strokes view on on Saeed and why you feel that way about Saeed in terms of the butchering of his character. I mean, you and I already talked in the end about the choice to have him join Shannon in the Sideways universe in his own personal heaven, if you will, instead of Nadia. I feel like that left a sour taste in both of our mouths. I mean, you have his whole possessed Saeed storyline in the end, which really did not marinate with anybody correctly. I feel like everyone was just, I don't, I don't like this form of Saeed. I don't like what they're doing. So I would just be afraid that if they bought him back, they said like, okay, what can we do with Saeed now? And they'd just be able to throw the book at him as opposed to some of these other characters who probably had saner endings. They'd be able to go along a more logical path with these characters. Yeah, I don't know how you bring Saeed back unless, you know, scraping him off the walls of the sunken submarine. I don't really know how you bring that character back and in the mix. But I'm also, I'm well on the record that I think that the two people who got screwed over by Lost the most in terms of the narrative are Saeed and Michael. I think those two guys got really, really host. And probably at the end of the day, even though I'm more loud in my advocacy for the butchering of Michael uh, or uh, I'm decrying the, the butchering of Michael's storyline. I'm probably more vocal about that. But, man, they really did. They really messed up Saeed, something fierce. Really not happy with how they took that character. And and at least with Michael, you could say, okay, it happened at the end of season four. With Saeed, it was an entire final season where we had to kind of watch a car accident in slow motion of this character just... Just leave him dead! Exactly. Just leave him dead. He got shot, he died, and that sets the stakes for everything, and it's a terrible, tragic thing because we loved Saeed, but you shot him, and why are you bringing him back unless you have a really good reason? You didn't have a good reason, you just blew him up? exactly. And, uh, I mean, if Uh. I could pick out an alive character who I wouldn't necessarily want to come back that's a tough one but i don't i mean frank lapidus is so so awesome but i feel like he's so good in small doses that i wouldn't want them to be like right they love lapidus let's bring him back and then give this huge thing to jeff fahey that sort of gives us diminishing returns on lapidus so i would give a caveat that like i'd like to see lapidus back but in like a couple of cameo roles let him fly the plane that takes them back to the island if they go back the only thing that i'm thinking about with lapidus is and i love lapidus as well and jeff fahey he's so great in that character and i think you're right that he he works best when he could be quippy you know when he can kind of just sneak into a scene and steal it in the line um and i want nothing bad ever to happen to lapidus i love that he survives i was so broken up when it seemed like he had drowned in the submarine as well and so psyched when he shows 
shows up and he's there to fly them all out of there. But it, but maybe it would be a fun little like Lapidus moment for him to be the pilot in the pilot of Lost Two if there was some sort of second plane crash and they got to the to the front end of the plane in the middle of the jungle. He's like, ah, oh, terrific! Right before he gets you know choked out by a smoke monster and gets the Greg Grunberg done to him, you could see Lapidus really rocking out in one final death scene as a cameo. But I also don't want to put that into the universe. Yeah, Love and you could also imagine that like that would be the creators being like this isn't your mama's lost we're I killing know. characters off in episode one that you loved we just killed lapidus stuff it and then all these people are like who's lapidus uh, oh he was was he a character <laughs> i don't remember that guy uh yeah i think uh in terms of uh people like if you were just a, including anybody who had lived who had died anybody on lost anyone who was prominent on lost i might co-sign the saeed call and that's nothing against navy and andrews and nothing against saeed both of whom i love dearly it's just please don't do anything please no don't do anything to those characters yeah exactly. we're, we're putting him essentially in a glass case that they can't break yeah all right well speaking of breaks and speaking of rex let's segue away from lost two unless you have anything else to say on the subject of lost two no let's get wrecked i have the the alcohol out i bought a bounty <laughs> of it since you guys were talking about it to wet my whistle a bit so i'm ready to get wrecked so this is the other thing that i wanted mike to talk about when he came on for lost lives returns we are talking about lost two over the course of all of these podcasts I'm sure, but one of the things that's interesting is that a version of Lost kind of exists right now as well. Arguably, Lost 2 happened this summer. It's a TBS comedy called Wrecked that is basically Lost as a sitcom, sort of. It's 10 episodes long. I believe the first season is already over and has been renewed for a second season to come next summer. Mike, you have dived into everything that is involved in Wrecked. You've watched the whole 10-episode first season i've seen the first two episodes so mike can you tell us what wrecked is sure so wrecked is a comedy that aired on tbs in case you don't know tbs is as they state very funny they focus a lot of their content away from movies and towards original comedy series i think since the 2000s and this is a show created by jordan shipley and justin shipley the shipley brothers that focuses on stop me if you've heard this before a group of people stranded on an island after a plane crash uh, I guess so. By- I've heard it. I've heard it before. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Lost <laughs> So this is something that I didn't really know about until probably May or so. I know I tweeted you about this when I was watching the Amazing Race finale on CBS. I saw a commercial for a Lost-like show that would take place on TBS next month. Admittedly, I was a little skeptical. I'll sort of put on my comedy nerd hat and talk for a little bit about, like, the state of parody right now is a little—it's a little in flux. I feel like if you're talking, like, 30, 40 years ago with Mel Brooks movies or things like Monty Python movies where they were parodying various genres and films— those were super on point, even when you get into the 90s with things like Naked Gun, Hot Shot, Austin Powers, it's Scary Movie, the original couple of iterations. Spoof movies were doing really, really great. Then we sort of hit a wall. There's, I don't know if you've checked out the the uh, the amount of spoof movies, that, spoof movies that have happened the past like five years or so, Josh. Things like... Uh, you know, the Fifty Shades of Black or, like, the 41-year-old virgin who got knocked up. They're no, just... the only one... I, I don't watch any of those movies. The only one that is even on my radar is the Taken parody called Tooken 
And it stars Lee Turgeson, who was Tobias Beecher on Oz in the Liam Neeson role. And because I loved Taken so much and because I respect Lee Turgeson for his work on Oz so much, I refuse to watch it because I can only imagine it will sour me on both things. Lee Turdholkinson? Yeah, it's, it sounds like that's what it is. <laughs> but unfortunately, I feel like the, the parody... Both film and TV show nowadays is something that is a lot less strong than it was beforehand. You have shows like Angie Tribeca on TBS, which I know Alex Kidwell is a big fan of. That is definitely a step in the right direction in terms of taking a genre and really playing it up. Tooking a genre, as Lee Turgeson might say. Yes, exactly. Uh, that is horrible grammar. Let's not try, let's try not to spread and that. And let me also just say it's Lee Turgeson, not Lee Torkelson. That would be someone very differently that Emily would be very excited about. Have you watched any of the Torkelsons since Emily has mentioned it? No, I refuse to believe it exists. There are so many who's who in there. <laughs> Okay. She mentioned, you know, the guy who who was in Full House and also the voice of Max in a Goofy movie. Uh, Allison Hannigan, I believe, was in it for some point. So it's wow. really, it's it is sort of like a mixed. Uh, it's like a Brady Bunch step by step type of mixed family type of show. So it is a little rote. But that being said, I watched a couple of episodes and I'm totally team fox on that one okay all right we don't need to go into the torkelsons in every single one of these podcasts i but think it we seems need like, to now it it's lost like two and torkelsons every episode of lost this seems like that's happening uh so that being said even though angie tribeca was a step in the right direction i do feel like parodies and spoofs are not what they used to be in a way enter wrecked which it's a little bit of a question mark to begin with, and not just question mark the center of the blast map, but is the question mark at the end of the sentence, why? This is a parody of a show that was really hot 12 years ago. Yes. <laughs> to bring it up a, more than a decade after the fact is so strange to me. Like, I mean, you can also accuse, like, why are you guys podcasting about Lost? Lost is over. Lost happened. Why are you guys talking about Lost? It's a podcast. We didn't dedicate, like, the full resources of a television production on talking about Lost. It's, it just takes, like, you know, waking up a little earlier on a Saturday to talk about a show that aired 12 years ago. Very fond of that show. That's fun. But to dedicate dedicate the resources of a full television production to a parody of Lost 12 years later is definitely, on paper, a very strange decision. The interesting thing about the show, too, as well, is that the first few episodes are definitely playing very close to the plot of Lost. Specifically the first The first two, absolutely. Uh, I mean, those are the only two that I've seen so far, but throughout, they are very, very vividly Lost. Yeah, and specifically the first season of Lost, when it probably was at its most focused on the survival aspects. I will spoil Wrecked from here on out, so hop out if you want to right now, but they do not dive into any sort of mysteries. There's no hatch. There's nobody in the jungle that's monitoring them and putting them into net traps. There's none of that. The show is surprisingly simple in only focusing on this group of people and their survival on the island, even though the show actually kind of pokes fun at the original concept of the show, I believe every episode description that I looked up said, you know, the island reveals a discovery, which it never does, but they were sort of poking fun at the fact that that was sort of the plot to almost every episode of Lost. That's <laughs> really funny. <laughs> so they're just always digging into what made the island special. Yeah, so they'll be like, oh, episode two, Pack finds a satellite phone. Also, the, the, the castaways make a discovery about the island that changes everything. 
Right. Yeah, obviously that's not happening, uh, at least not in the first two that I saw. But in terms of it echoing Lost, not Mr. Echoing Lost, but in terms of it really having shades of Lost, you know, just in terms of the character types, you know, there's definitely different people. There isn't like a one-for-one Locke. Locke feels like he's kind of broken across a couple of different Mm -hmm. characters. There's this woman, Karen, who is really like the tough as nails, shows up with a big wild boar that she's just killed. That's pretty great. But then there's also uh, Reese Darby is on the show, and he's playing he's playing a character named Steve, who uh, he either loses his legs or he's deeply injured early on. So he kind of has a lock feel to him as well. But there isn't like one lock character. There is sort of a Jack, mm. but that doesn't last for very long, which is a really fun call out to uh, the original plans for the Lost pilot. Again, Mike already said the spoiler warning, so this is spoiler warning in full effect if you are planning on checking out wrecked do not listen any further or if you're planning on checking it out and you don't care about the spoiler here's the spoiler that there is like a a very capable badass protagonist type that appears here in the first episode of wrecked his the character's name is liam no relation to charlie pace it's a token It's a token, yes. <laughs> Liam Turgeson, Torgelson. Uh, James Scott is playing this character, and he is the guy, like, everyone's like, oh, God, thank God he's here because he's going to save us. There's some expedition into the middle of the jungle, sort of similar to in the first episode of Lost, everyone venturing out to either find the front of the plane or to get the radio signal to work. But Liam leads this expedition and then is just, like, very spontaneously killed in the middle of the jungle, which is how Lost's pilot was supposed to end with the rumors of someone like a Michael Keaton playing Jack, and Jack is killed by the end of the first episode, and then Kate is secretly the main character. This show is sort of exploring that premise of the one guy who really has his shit together is suddenly taken off the board, and now you're left with just a bunch of buffoons ruling the island. Yeah, which again, is something that's really fun. I wish that, I don't know how many previews you watched of the show. I ended up watching a bunch, either by accident or on purpose, before the show ended up airing. I wish they hadn't showed that in the ads. I thought it would have been much more fun if they built up this guy, Liam, as the big de facto head of the castaways, only to get killed off in the first 10 minutes. would have been a lot more shocking and a lot more fun. That being said, we sort of get a Jack surrogate in a way in Owen, who's played by Zach Kreger, who you might remember as a member of The Whitest Kids You Know, which was a a sketch troupe that had a brief appearance, I believe, on MTV for some time. Uh, But you had this whole thing in the first episode about how you know, Owen is not a doctor. There actually is another doctor on the island, but he steps up because he's a flight attendant, and for some reason, flight attendants are looked upon as a source of leadership. That being said, I'll sort of give my overall thoughts on Wrecked in general. It's 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 pretty funny. I'll admit, I think I was very nervous as you and Joe Garfine discussed on the, the first Lost Lives Returns podcast about the show coming in because, again, I was very nervous about the spoof genre at this point. Especially something like you're taking a look at a, a, a series that was really prominent as close to six years ago. And you're going to try to do a one-for-one parody of it. I I don't know if this is really going to work. That being said, the show takes the structure and past its first few episodes, it really spins off with these characters in new and interesting directions. They focus on storylines that are not so centric. People do not discover caves, at least they do not on screen. Uh, There's, you know, there's a raft being built, but it's highly unsuccessful. So that being said, they're not necessarily 
really running the entire first season of Lost running alongside it. Instead, they're kind of taking their own path with these characters that we're spinning off, which, as you just said, are not particularly one-to-one analogs of these main Lost characters, which makes for... Uh, more diverse writing, if you will. Yeah, I've, I actually was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And I wonder if it's because I just like was craving some sort of lost return, some sort of show that was lost-ish. There's so many shows that in the immediate aftermath and even like, you know, fairly close, but not super immediately after Lost premiered, there were so many shows that tried to be like Lost. The one that I point to all the time is uh, Flash Forward, yes. which I enjoyed in points, but was clearly trying to be, you know, the new Lost. It was really even- trying featuring a lost actor right exactly well v also had you know v had elizabeth mitchell like they had yeah. all sorts of stuff like that and the event felt like it was really trying to get in on the ground floor there was a bunch of shows that really wanted to be the new lost and very few of them succeeded you know fringe was a bad robot production and ended up being its own really great thing uh there were a few shows that you know came out during that time period that actually were great but few and far between so to actually have someone you know come along years and years and years later and be like i know how we do the new lost we basically just do lost but as a comedy as a parody uh and as improbable as it is because it is so long after the fact and i have no idea why anyone decided this would be the perfect time to finally launch the lost spoof tv show like the full-fledged not a sketch not a skit not Mm -hmm. like a three-minute bit but a full-scale production about an island wreck with all these different characters and having all these different people you know showing signs of having some sort of lost connection. Clearly, I haven't read much about the Shipley brothers, the people who created the show and their influences, but they are very obviously big into Lost. And you can tell, and it's kind of fun. It's it's fun in yeah. its own way. There's this storyline in the second episode. What's the name of the of the jerk husband? There's oh, a Todd. Todd. So there's a husband and wife duo on the island. The wife is she's she's the doctor, right? No, so there is there's two the two girls are, are Emma and Florence. That's the doctor is the podiatrist, that's Emma. Uh, right, right, the, right. The Todd and Jess relationship, which is the the big thing, is that they're actually not married. That they've sort of been in a relationship for seven years, and there's actually a storyline a couple episodes after in like episode four or so where he tries to propose to her, and he ends up being a jerk hole. Where Todd is sort of the combination of the worst qualities of Jin and Sawyer with yes. with Bradley Cooper's character from Wedding Crashers, essentially. Right. Yeah, yeah. He feels that way, but he has this storyline in the second episode of the series where he has lost his golf clubs and he is very, very distraught about this. He's very devastated about losing my baby, he says, because uh, he considers his golf club his baby. And Reese Darby's character, Steve, overhears this and he overhears Todd being like, oh my God, he lost his baby out there. That's so terrible. I got to be really, really nice to him. And so one of the subplots of this episode is Steve and Todd, they keep having these heart-to-heart moments. Steve thinking that they are talking about Todd's dead child and Todd talking very wistfully and mournfully about his missing golf club. And as they're having these heart to hearts, there is music in the background that sounds like a, like a, like a Muzak version of a Giacchino score. <laughs> like it's, it's Muzak Giacchino all throughout wrecked. And that's just such a funny, subtle detail that would never really register for anyone unless you were a fan of lost. And that stuff is in there just as kind of fan service for lost people and i loved that i thought that was hysterical i thought that that was a really great paying attention to detail moment 
Yeah, and it's interesting how, again, they do spiral off into covering completely different things with completely different characters. But in these first few episodes, even something like the satellite phone, which is such a big focus in this episode, just like it was for even like the first three seasons of Lost up until, you know, Nadia gets the knife in the back um, or the parachuter. I I forget her name at this point. But uh, in that episode, in that second episode you just mentioned. I was was forgetting her name as well, but it's Naomi. Um, But when, when you have Pac with the satellite phone... And they have to dial one number, and they realize that nobody actually knows a phone number in this day and age. I think it's really great because now Lost is, you know, essentially timeless in a way, but I feel like there are certain elements from the early 2000s that are eking into it. Here definitely takes place in the 2010s where, for example, you might not know many phone numbers, if any phone numbers at all. And so you see that a little bit even in the uh I think it's in the third episode when they find a DVD player uh-huh. and it's enough. There's enough juice on the DVD player to watch one movie and their choices are dumb and dumber two and Selma. And th- <laughs> oh so they, my God. And so it's really funny though, because they're like trying to, they're, they, they all oh, want to watch dumb and dumber two, but they, they feel like they need to watch Selma. Like they feel really bad about themselves if they didn't watch Selma because it's such an important movie as they say, and they even go to Diane from Toledo, who is like the resident Rose on this show. She's probably like the closest lost analog we actually have on this show. And even she admits that like, I guess we should watch Selma. And so, (laughs) Oh my God, that's so awful. And so taking a look at something like that though, utilizing two movies that came out in the past year and a half or so definitely brings this movie more so into the modern time frame than you might initially think. So at least they're able to take that portion of a show that premiered 10 plus years ago and bring it into this day and age. Wow. That's, <laughs> I have not gotten that far, obviously, but that is that just the description of that is pretty terrible. <laughs> It's funny, but yikes, really scary. Uh, but I think the plot structure of these first two episodes, at least, really, really do feel very similar to Lost. Like, not only um, in terms of the characters, but in that first episode, trekking out into the jungle and trying to, you know, find the front end of the plane is very clearly a reference to the first episode of Lost. And in that second episode that I saw, the the A story, there are two, there are two big stories in the episode. One is they have found a satellite phone and they've picked up a signal that is something that was a huge huge deal in the first few episodes of lost and then you have this other character who's sort of jack ish as well him and owen danny i think is the character danny Mm -hmm. and owen seem to be the co-leads of the show at least as far as i've gotten danny is the first person that you see in the show wrecked much like all of lost 2 kind of opens on an eye because of course it opens on an eye Uh, but danny's whole storyline in the second episode is he's been tasked with clearing out the fuselage of all of the bodies. Uh, and that was a storyline early on in Lost as well. It's like, we got to do something about the fuselage. It's a wreckage in there. All sorts of awful things are happening. And Danny has to confront that very early on. So again, just, and they also even like, I feel like they're calling out the fuselage as a term that is completely ridiculous that no one has heard before, uh, which is like an accurate airplane term, but it just, it was, it came up so often in the early days of Lost. And you have someone being like, what the hell's a fuselage here on the show yeah. is pretty funny and inside the fuselage danny is going to confront the ghost of his dead father <laughs> or at least his father who is not there i wonder where we've heard that one before yeah well even even he lampshades it right by saying like dad you died on this island he's like no 
I'm just appearing in your thoughts. Yeah, this is a nightmare sequence. <laughs> Can't you tell by the fog and like everyone laughing at you? Uh, so that's that's really fun. And I also enjoyed how they burned all the bodies by the end of that episode. But rather than you know being like this really mournful memorial service as it was on Lost, everyone is just extraordinarily grossed out by the smell of all of the burning bodies, uh, and everyone takes it very very poorly. Yeah, it's interesting. Doesn't it to just sort of, like start like a cycle of vomiting amongst the whole. It does. Group of the last f- last two minutes of episode two are just a uh, perennial vomiting yeah. from all of our characters. A couple of other things that like kind of are similar to some lost plot lines. There is a vision quest that happens in episode four uh-huh. where Pack, who is the uh, the nervous Nelly of the group for quite some time, he visits like the resident hippie whose name is Chet, who takes him on a vision quest where he sort of has Boone-esque, speaking of what you guys spoke about last time, Boone-esque, you know, vision quest fantasies about everything. When it turns out it was just a Clarendon the entire time and Pack was just sort of freaking out on his own. Uh, Todd does pull a Sawyer later on where he ends up hoarding the stash of food. And he doesn't, Sword never declared himself king of the island, but Todd goes so far as to do so. Um, And then that that sort of turns into a, a whole island supply argument for a few episodes. The last few episodes, which as scattershot as this show may start off, it actually becomes very pointed in the last few episodes. It basically becomes a big power play between owen and steve oh really steve so what happens so he does take a turn for the lock yeah so there is uh, an election where it ends up emma and florence end up running against each other because sort of when todd gets revealed uh to have got to have procured the stash and they catch him they say okay we need leadership on this island to determine how to punish todd and emma and florence run against each other it turns out steve they enter Steve as a random third-party candidate, but he ends up winning. But then he goes pretty power-hungry. He shoots people. He kills people. Oh, my God. He, he puts people in the pit, uh, which is not, you know, Andy Dwyer-affiliated. It's actually a Doug sand pit that serves as a, a prison of sorts. Again, he, very lost. That's the Taley's prison. Yeah. The interesting thing about it, though, is... The cent- one of the central unique elements of Lost, which are the flashbacks, we only see twice on Wrecked, which I thought was super unique. We see a flashback from Owen's childhood, and we get to see what happened to Steve before he came on the island, which sort of informs his power trip is he got fired from his job, and it turned out his boss was sleeping with his wife. He tried to shoot his boss, but he couldn't pull the trigger. So it's clear that like Steve, sort of like Locke, does not want to leave the island. He finds that his life, he wouldn't be, he could be coming back to nothing if he left the island. But he's also forcibly keeping people on there. The whole finale is there's a boat that's in the distance and steve is essentially trying to stop people from attracting the boat and that sort of causes everyone to turn on steve and karen who's sort of like his second in command okay so now they've gone full lock together yeah when yeah karen i was actually a little saddened we you think that karen becomes a much more prominent character later on but she's pretty supporting throughout which made me a little sad i feel like the rest of the main ensemble all got big storylines but karen was sort of like at the fringes of them all i love the actress brooke dillman you might recognize her as the uh, the chair model from the office episode okay um or she was a blind date she wasn't the chair model the chair model had died i remember that now uh but karen was such a fun wild card character to have the lock be 
to have lock qualities in a female character, uh, I wouldn't say flock because I think that was the term that you used for the man in black fake lock back in Lost Lives Proper. But yeah, to have, I think that was a common term. But yes, absolutely. But to have you know to have this to have a woman be the main you know hunter of the island and the bloodthirsty person, I thought was really really fun. And to have her not be that important to the main storylines, I was a little saddened by that. That was my one of my main quips with the show. Yeah, um, no, I liked her a lot in the the first two that I'd seen. I I, I liked this show a lot more than I expected to. Yeah. I, don't, I you know I expect that I'll probably finish the season at some point, maybe closer to season two coming out. But it's fun. Like it's just you know it's just a goofy, lighthearted thing. I have no idea why it exists. That that's the part no. that I I still don't understand why this was allowed to happen. Uh, I'm kind of happy that it did happen. I think it's mostly like it's it pokes fun at lost for sure but like i said with like the music cues and with some of these storylines and the attention to detail to some stuff from lost that only people who knew lost really well would realize that these are actually pretty steady connections it's fun for lost people at least for me i thought it was highly enjoyable on that regard of just clearly clearly the shipley brothers care about lost yeah and even I don't think they do it on the first two episodes, but around the middle of the season, they do a previously on Wrecked. And they have, you know, they have the sound effects that come before every commercial break. Like you said, it's these little tiny details that have the, I feel like the key to a good spoof or parody is taking an original material, showing you love it, but then also doing new things with it. And I almost feel like the Shipley brothers do that here, where like you said, they're playing homage to a lot of great elements of Lost, but at the same time, they're they're taking some plot lines from Lost, but they're doing things with different characters. I feel like the Danny character, who I ended up really loving by the end, I thought he was going to be the biggest, goofiest, dumbest oaf of them all, like a real-life Homer Simpson, but he turns out not to be. He turns out to be much more normal as the season progresses. And of course, you know that him lying about a cop about being a cop definitely comes to fruition later on that that isn't even a spoiler it's just sort of an inevitability but i feel like the shipley brothers did a good job of saying like all right let's bring in these characters and let's have them do new things they have a storyline where pack eats a guy which (laughs) maybe got me hooked on the show because those that listen to post-show recaps know uh the thoughts that i've had in the past about eating people yeah mike is probably our chief cannibalism correspondent here on post-show recaps Disavow. 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 Uh, so, no, I, I like Wrecked a lot. I think Wrecked is, you know, even knowing some of the things that we've talked about here, if you haven't checked it out, I think it's worth giving a look. It's pretty dumb, but it's sort of fun at the same time. If you're just looking for something to kind of mindlessly divert you, I think that Wrecked, if you're in a you know the mood for some more Lost, and clearly you are if you are listening this far into the third Lost Lives Returns podcast, I think that you could do worse than watch Wrecked. I think that they did a pretty yeah. good job with it, and I can't believe that it exists and I can't believe that there's a second season. That's even more unbelievable to me that a second mm-hmm. season is on the way, but it is on the way. Uh, Mike, yeah. I know also you wanted to talk a little bit more about Lost's relationship with comedy. You know, just outside of Wrecked, this is the parody TV show that is existing probably a little bit past, uh, maybe too far past Lost's expiration date, but Lost and comedy have kind of had a funny, you know, relationship throughout the years as well. You know, this is certainly not the first time that anybody He's been making fun of Lost on a large scale. Yeah, before we go into that, I do want to touch on Wrecked just one more second, because I know you said about a second season, I don't know how they got it. They end the first season, again, in a similar analog, or analog, if you will, with what happened on the end of Lost season Is that one. when Anna Lucia and Locke fuse into one person? 
Oh, God. I can only imagine. Maybe that will come on to Lost 2. They'll take a bunch of dead characters and do the fusion dance from Dragon Ball Z. And yes. Oh, my God. You together. with all of your Dragon Ball Z references. Yeah, it's the it. second time I've mentioned the fusion dance in two weeks on post-show oh, recaps. it's great. I'm enjoying that tremendously. Um, but essentially, the first season ends, as I said, they, they, they end up attracting the boat. They overpower Steve and his cohorts, and they get the boat to come. And the boat turns out to be they have their own sort of take on we're going to have to take the boy. The boat turns out to be full of pirates who decide to kidnap Danny because Danny turns out to be part of a family that's worth billions, actually, in a sort of a a moment of art imitating life. Uh, Brian Saka, who plays Danny, is the younger brother of Chris Saka, who is like a Silicon Valley magnet. So I guess that's sort of poking fun at that. But we sort of have our own ending there where these pirates are kidnapping our group of castaways. So that being said, will season two take place on a freighter? Who knows? Will it still take place on the island? I'm not sure. But they at least live some sort of a cliffhanger. Um, So talking about Lost in comedy in the past 10 years... Obviously, as a big cultural touchstone, as I mentioned in the very beginning of our time here on Lost Lives Together of the early 2000s, it's rife for a bunch of parodies. Now, they sort of range when they come out. I was able to look online for a bunch of parodies that we're about to talk about. And they range from, like, 2006 to 2010. So it's interesting. Maybe it was a marker of the times that... Nobody was making fun of Lost outright in the middle of its first season. The earliest parodies of Lost I found in, like, its second season. Maybe it's because they thought once they knew what was going on, they could write a parody about it. But suffice it to say, because Lost was such an interestingly written show and an interestingly formatted show in terms of the island aspect combined with the perennial amount of mysteries, it's led to a lot of comic pieces on it. All right, so what are some of the the best examples that you found in your travels? Well, best is, uh, is very, uh, All right. How about notable? Word. Let's go with notable. Yeah, How, notable. Notable is a better word. So let's start off with what I is what I consider probably one of my favorite shows of all time, The Simpsons. It took them eight years. You know, we, we, we lampoon Rex for saying it took you six years to do this. It took The Simpsons until 2012 to do a Lost parody, which they called Stranded. It was from an episode where Homer got like a treadmill in the basement and he was watching a show on it and he got so addicted to it that he just sort of the forgave, forewent the treadmill and just started watching that uh there there was a it was fine uh it just sort of just focuses on the mysteries of the island for example the jack analog cracks open a coconut that has his pet cat inside with 815 on the tag uh instead of a smoke monster there's a lava being so it's clear that they're trying to play up the oh mysteries that don't make sense uh type of aspects on lost something that harkens more so to the survival aspects is mad tv which did a sketch in, I believe, 2010 about loss. And this will apply to a lot of people in the Rob Has a Podcast post-show recap shared universe because this features a cameo by Survivor host Jeff Probst. Yes. So essentially, they bring out the the main cast, each do their own takes on the Lost cast. Uh, you have... Pretty much most notably, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele are in this cast going on to do Key and Peele. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key does Saeed, which you might have a few problems with nowadays, but I guess <laughs> they were uh, lacking on people of color to play Saeed. Uh, Jordan, Peele, okay. Jordan Peele plays Michael. Uh, you have uh, Michael McDonald playing Locke, and there's a interesting runner with Locke doing weird things with his knife, like 
picking his ear and picking his nose with it. Um, but they bring all these characters together and they hear these noises in the jungle and out comes Jeff Probst. And Jeff Probst says that they were filming a season of Survivor on the island. He went to take a piss and they all left without him. And we see a flashback of Probst and we see his audition for survivor uh i will say jeff probst as much as we may knock at him nowadays during modern survivor very surprisingly game during this sketch he's he's making a mockery of himself he's doing all these weird insane warm-ups uh and he turns out it's between him and one other person for the job of host of survivor the other person turns out to be the one and only colby donaldson Oh, wow. And so <laughs> Colby tells Jeff, you know, I'm more handsome. I'm more buff than you. And Jeff decides to go full tilt and ends up poisoning Colby. Uh, that's like his flashback, if you will. And they lampshade the flashback as well. And they'll do this a couple times in the parodies I'll be talking about. We're like, they'll come back and these characters will be sitting around as if the flashback were carrying out in real time. And it turns out to be Fantasy Island all along. So essentially this Mad TV parody, it's like seven minutes long, but it conflates several different types of island shows all in one. That's pretty good. You know, Jeff Probst, you know, for all the flack that he gets, or the flack that he gets, is pretty game to make fun of himself, in my experience with the guys. So it's no surprise that he is up for that here. That's really funny. I haven't watched that one. I didn't realize Colby got in the mix as well. That's great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is definitely pre-Bacon as well, so maybe Mad TV encouraged Jeff to go on Two and a Half Men. And this isn't even his only Lost parody, Probst. Isn't Probst yeah. in another Lost parody as so, well? This is a good segue to, if you remember, Jimmy Kimmel did a lot of Lost stuff, especially after the series finale. I don't know right. if you remember, he hosted a big after show. Yeah, well, he was actors. a huge, huge, huge Lost nerd. Yeah, and he had just, I think he had gotten onto ABC like around the time that Lost had started as well, or at least when it was in its prominence. So him and Lost were sort of riding parallel waves, if you will. Uh, so he held this big post-series finale special, and he showed, quote-unquote, alternate endings from Lost that Damon and Carlton came up with. The first one that happens is they're all sitting around the campfire. Jeff Probst steps out and says, Saeed, the tribe has spoken, which, again, is probably a better way to send off Saeed than what happened in season six. But uh, it's, it's fun to see. They got all the actors. They were all game for it. Saeed gives a confessional about how he survived being in the Republican Guard, how he died and came back to life and blew up a submarine, and now he gets voted out by Jeff effing Probst. <laughs> then it cuts, it cuts back to the writing room a couple times of Damon and Carlton being, of Carlton being like, uh, oh, no, Damon actually is the straight man in this. He's like, oh, or, you know, I'm pretty sure this is Survivor. And so a couple more endings they suggest are they do the Sopranos ending uh, with Hurley, Claire, and Jack. And then they do the Newhart ending using Bob Newhart and Kate. So that's like a nice, fun thing of taking a look at a, a couple of divisive series finales and Survivor and applying it to Lost. It, it was... It was fun, not necessarily funny, but fun, as opposed to the other big Jimmy Kimmel Lost piece that I found, which was Lost the Musical. Oh, which man. You would think, right in our wheelhouse, Josh, right? We're uh -oh. both Lost fans, both big musical theater fans, swing and a miss oh, on this one. It is no. bad. The actors are all off-key. They're all off-tempo. They're doing really... They start off with, like, a Seasons of Love-esque parody about, you know, 108 minutes is how oh, long it takes God. to push the button. Uh, so, like, I, I thought that was okay, but then, like... They're all just rhyming to each other. A polar bear comes out of the hatch, and then they start doing river dance. I would say see it just to see it, but I would not. I would. I'd say save your internet connection, the bandwidth. Just wow. do not watch it. It is horrible. It includes Charlie and Hurley singing a love song to each other, where Charlie is spooning. 
Charlie is spooning a shirtless Hurley who is wearing one of the worst <laughs> fat suits I've ever seen in my life. It's just, it, I think it came out in like 2008. It is, it is awful, Josh. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's skip past that one. That sounds awful. That sounds horrible. And Lost's relationship with music is so good that I really don't want to ruin it. Yeah, exactly. Michael Giacchino would not approve of the Lost musical. No, I'm sure. <laughs> Or even Muzak Giacchino would not approve yeah, of it either. No. So let's talk about SNL, because uh, there's one SNL sketch. If you remember, Matthew Fox hosted one time. I believe he was the only lost actor to host while the show was on. And there were some sketches like loosely associated around with Lost, but there was one outright associated with Lost where he gets in an elevator with a few people. Um, Fred Armisen is one of the people, and he just kind of tells Matthew Fox, like, I don't think your writers know what they're doing. I don't think they have a game plan at all. They, they're, mm-hmm. just, they're just writing stuff. Uh, Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph come in, and they're fangirling over him. Keenan Thompson comes in as a UPS guy and bemoans the fact that Mr. Echo had just gotten killed off and that all the black guys are leaving the island. Uh, Andy Samberg is a bike courier and he immediately thinks that it's purgatory which he he won't be too far off come season six but it's not exactly you know uproarious but i still think it's a it's a fun thing to do it had to have matthew Shepard become more and more beleaguered every time a person comes in is pretty funny but speaking of snl dana carvey made a brief reappearance onto the comedy scene when he did this show called Spoof in 2010 for Funny or Die. And he did this sketch called Weird Island where they definitely leaned into the curve of, oh, this is a show that poses a bunch of questions, has a bunch of weird twists that don't make sense. Uh, Dana Carvey does the only Ben impression that I've seen out of all of these Lost parodies. And it's... it's uh, uh, serviceable uh-huh. i think dana carvey who's like a master impressionist it's not one of his best admittedly it's not george hw bush by any measure but it's better than anything he did in master of disguise so i'll give him that but it's essentially just a full minute of two guys saying weird stuff to each other uh you know ben saying oh the island's about to move five feet upwards and then it cuts to the other guy's like head in the sand because now it's he's buried up to his neck there's something called like the rope a dope cantaloupe antelope it's basically just their excuse to do weird stuff for two minutes and it doesn't really work again as a fan of lost thinking that there's so much more to the show than just random twists and questions i feel like it's a it's a little too much of a broad parody personally yeah i'm surprised that dana carvey's lost parody isn't just fantastically riveting stuff that you can't stop watching i'm shocked to hear this I can detect the sarcasm. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked to hear it. And I say, I no, I love Dana Carvey, or at least a version of Dana Carvey, but the spoof version of Dana Carvey, maybe not so much. Definitely not. Uh, a couple of other parodies. In 2010, Jimmy Fallon did a parody called Late. If you remember on Jimmy Fallon for some time, they would do sketches that are specifically dedicated to shows. Uh, Downton Sixby was one that I remember. And this is one where their elevator gets stuck on a floor that they can't can't get off of they try to take the stairs and wind up in the exact same place uh there's some mysteries where they find a closet full of yellow legal pads um i like the theories that the the people in the show come up with someone comes up with a theory that they've entered a fraggle hole and they're now in fraggle rock which i think was pretty (laughs) funny um 
there's a flashback in this one too where jimmy fallon is talking to a very mysterious bathroom attendant and they don't really allude to anything else there uh, he catches the elevator it's his lucky day much like when hurley catches flight 815 in exodus and they end the episode by finding a paper that reads you're not alone on it over and over and over again and sort of lampshading that uh higgins who is jimmy fallon's co-host just sort of spends a minute venting about the fact that how weird it is and that they wasted paper and the typesetting isn't right so i think it's it's a pretty good one they're hearkening pretty close to it while still putting it in an office setting a, a distance setting enough from the island to still make fun of it probably one of the most notable ones was included in the primetime emmys from 2006 i don't know if you remember this one josh when conan o'brien hosted yeah uh, so he ends up starting, he starts off his opening sketch. It's varied from time to time with the Emmys. Sometimes the host will come out and do musical numbers. Sometimes they'll do monologues. Sometimes they'll do pre-recorded things. This is an example of the third, where he was taking a flight to L.A. and it crashes on an island. Very, very awkward timing because while the Emmys were airing, there was a big plane crash in Kentucky at the time. Uh. So actually, you know, we'll probably end up attaching a lot of these videos in the show notes. But if you watch the video that I saw of this, there is a crawler along the bottom of giving information of the plane crash while this plane crash is happening. Uh, but the first two minutes of this opening Emmy's reel are Conan washing up on the island. He is able to uh, build a hair dryer for himself out of sticks and twigs. He finds Hurley, who takes him into the hatch. Conan offers Hurley offers to take Hurley into the hatch with him, but Hurley lampshades the fact that they were not invited this year uh which sort of again brings up the fact that lost won in its first season but was not nominated at all in its second season and conan sort of gripes about that how the world is our topsy-turvy and then he goes on to appear in the office 24 house etc but that was a nice little fun moment and to have conan and hurley interact i thought was a lot of fun that's really good i mean listen there's endless amounts of lost parodies out there there's uh i know lindelof and cuse were always game for stuff like they're in that jimmy kimmel sketch that you mentioned and they're very funny their podcasts were always hysterical so there's just a lot of comedy baked into that i remember the entertainment weekly videos uh the doc jensen videos you would have all sorts of lost guests would show up there their most famous one is probably like the arbitration between jacob and his brother the man Mm -hmm. in black where they're trying to counsel the two of them and get them to be friends again so the lost cast and the lost creators were always really hilarious and were always really game at making fun of themselves like yeah it's great to have a show like wrecked right now again i don't know why uh but it's great to have a show like that that kind of brings back a lot of nostalgic feelings and kind of points at a lot of the funny cracks in lost but it's not like lost was ever wanting for any of that stuff along the way during its run and more often than not people involved with the show were getting involved in the parodies you know not in every single case obviously but in a lot of cases more cases than you would get for probably a lot of other shows Definitely. And I think it's great that everyone, including the creators themselves, as you just pointed out, were definitely willing to make fun of themselves. And again, it shows how really important and how big Lost was at the time, that it it warranted all of these parodies. This isn't some sort of, you know, basic cable show that only a handful of people see and only a couple shows really parody. This was something that was huge as big as the plane crash that happened both on the island and in kentucky in 2006 so i i think you know watching all these parodies yes they vary in terms of a actual humor and b speaking towards what lost was but that being said it's a great sign of the times at 
how much of an impact Lost left on the television community at large. Yeah. Anything else about Lost comedy, wrecked, Lost 2? Anything else you want to bring up, Mike, before we sign out here? I mean, it'll be interesting. I wonder if Wrecked and its quote-unquote success and renewal might bring in some sort of, I don't know, I don't think we're going to see a boom of Lost parodies anytime soon, but I'm interested to see what facets of Lost Wrecked will bring into its second season. Do they feel like they've run the course with the island, or will they try other elements of Lost, or will they just completely do something completely different out on its own? So that being said... I enjoyed Wrecked for what it was. As Josh said, check it out if you have the time. It's different enough from Lost that even the biggest Lost fans will still enjoy it, in my opinion. All right. As we start shifting toward Enter 7-7, the rewatch factor here on Lost Lives Returns. Mike, do you have any thoughts about that episode? Anything that stands out to you? It's the first real episode where Mikhail appears. Saeed does a sweet roundhouse kick at one point. Anything else that really stands out to you about that episode? Yeah, I'm assuming it's fate that you had a Michael on the podcast in the episode with me, Kyle. I feel like yes. the podcast brought us together for that reason. Uh, I mean, you and Emily. You are also both- have an eye patch. I do. I thought you yeah. said iPad because I have one of those as well. <laughs> yes, an iPad. Uh, um, but at, with you and Emily as cat owners, I would love to hear some cat discussion about both uh, the cat of Saeed's former torturee and the cat that Mikhail has. I feel like there's a, a lot of uh, cat Torturee discussion. sounds like a potpourri scent that Saeed would get into business on. Yes, that's the main character's name in Tukin, Torturee. <laughs> Um, but I, I feel like the cat discussion has been, uh, there hasn't been a lot of cat discussion associated with loss. So I feel like this is a prime opportunity to hear straight, uh, out of the, we'll let the prospective cat out of the bag, if you will, in discussing yeah. some of the smaller elements. And also who is the better chess player amongst you two? And can it beat a computer? It's me. Uh, I can't beat a computer, but it's definitely me. All right. Well, just, I guess we'll have that to out there. Josh versus Watson next time <laughs> on right. Lost Lives. All right. Well, Watson, we will see. All right, Mike, this was really, really fun. Follow Mike. He's at a Mike Bloom type. Mike, what else are you up to right now? So the fall season is amongst us, and with it comes Once Upon a Time, which we've spoken about on this podcast. Kirk Clark and I are really excited to be back covering season six. Uh, Also on poster recaps coming up in the next few weeks, I'll be previewing this a little bit, dropping some teasers for this right now. Um, We might be covering something that had a lost parody in it that I spoke about the past 15 or so minutes. Ooh, interesting. So we'll tantalizing we'll, tease the return of mad TV. Yes, exactly. I'm going to be podcasting every episode about the return of mad TV and all of its disappointments. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> but if you are interested in reality television, uh, I have a new podcast going on reality TV wrap ups. I'm covering RuPaul's drag race. The uh, all stars two season just premiered. I'm covering that with a couple of people. The show is an immense amount of fun uh, i suggest you check that out as well as rex add that to your eternal tv queue but you can check that out on reality tv rehab ups as well and yeah i'm always around on post show recaps rob is a website etc i'm popping up here and there just like karen in the jungles of wrecked killing boars there you go all right so mike bloom also killing boars also podcasting here all over the place on post show recaps really fun to have you on here mike is one of the original og lost lives co-hosts really fun to have you on here talking through all of this stuff and getting your take on what Lost 2 might look like if that ever comes to pass. Mike, thanks so much. This was tons of fun. Of course. Thanks for having me on.
Oh my god, and there is that emotional Saeed Jarrah music carrying us out of that very emotional conversation with Mike Bloom where we talked about all sorts of very, very serious, deeply dramatic issues. I kid, of course, we were talking about Wrecked, we were talking about Lost's place and relationship with comedy. Great job, give it up again for Mike Bloom, who also is one of the hosts of The Hamster Factor with AJ Mass. That's a great podcast as well where they're talking about all sorts of sci-fi movies and trippy things. But enough about Mike Bloom, let's talk about the real star here at Lost Lives Returns. <laughs> Let us turn our attention once more to my wife, Emily Fox. Emily, how are you? Hello, Emily. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm excellent. It's a beautiful sunny day out. You know, plenty of things to talk about. I want to keep the emotional train going with this podcast. I think that we are going to be on an emotional train, perhaps even an emotional submarine if we can find one. Ooh, I like that lost talk. Yeah, I love that lost talk. Emily, it's funny that last week we were talking about, um, in our episode discussing Hearts and Minds, the Boone flashback episode of season one, the scene where Boone and Shannon kiss for the first time and it leads to a sex scene and we were talking about the behind the scenes stories about about how shannon about how maggie grace the actress who plays shannon stuffed her mouth with garlic before she kissed ian oh, summerhalder who plays on. boone and it's just this is a cheap shot and this is just great timing because emily you just had such a garlicky lunch I'm sorry. I told this is you the was, garlic podcast. I, I apologize. I love you, and I like you enough to handle the garlic right now. If you had eaten the lunch that I made, and I could have made for both of us, then we'd both have garlic bread. Bread. <laughs> oh, garlic bread was in the mix. Why didn't you tell me? I would have been in on that. We would both have garlic breath, and you know that that cancels each other out when you both have it. So if we both were garlicked up, there would be it would be like there was no garlic at all. Exactly. All right, and so it could have been dueling garlics. Could have been even worse, though. It could have been like competitive. Who is more garlicky than the other? You know who talks about garlic? Who's one of my all-time heroes? Is Ron from Ronco, the Showtime Rotisserie Oven? Um, he says that garlic is really good for you, and if uh, you have garlic, you sleep well. You sleep alone, but you sleep well. Is that the motto? Yeah, that, I mean that's not the motto. That's garlic. Just- you sleep well. You sleep alone, <laughs> but you sleep well. And that gets a great rise out of the audience who are just watching tons of different meats twirling all at once. So now are we talking about Ron's rotisserie ovens in every episode of Lost Lives Returns because we've already satisfied so much Torkelson's talk. You know we already talked about the Torkelson's before you even got on here today. That was really good alliteration. Yeah, we are all in on the Torkelson's right now. Three Lost Lives podcasts in a row with Torkelson's references. Can we keep it up? I hope so. Man, I hope so. Mike Bloom is Team Torkelson's, by the way. I know that you already love Mike, but this should really boost his rep in your in your opinion. I'm so appreciative of this, Mike. Yeah, very good, <laughs> very good stuff from Mike Bloom today. Now let's turn our attention to the task at hand. We are talking about Enter Seven Seven, the mid season three Saeed Jarrah flashback episode. I believe it is the fourth Saeed Jarrah flashback episode overall in all of Lost. Uh, we are going to talk about this one. I really, before we even start, I I love this era of season three so much, Emily. I, I am such a fan of this part of Lost. I think, Emily, that this might be the most underappreciated section of Lost in the entirety of Lost. How about that for a statement? I think that's a great statement. I think there are a lot of things that are starting to be uncovered, and you're learning more and more about who the others are, who the the crazy invalids or whatever they're called. The invalids? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, the hostels? The hostels. Why are we calling them invalids? They're very capable. They're very valid, these hostels. <laughs> I couldn't think of what they were called. Oh my god, the invalids. I'm relearning everything, as everyone can tell. This is very in- important intel that I'm throwing into the atmosphere with my re- my recollection of loss. I love the idea that you've been living with loss for the past few years, you know, not really thinking about it much, not going back and revisiting the episodes a lot, and you were thinking that the others were secretly called the invalids. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that's great. That's the hostels, Emily, and I believe the hostel term is, I think, thrown out for the first time ever in this episode okay. in Enter 7-7, I think. Okay, okay. That's that's cool. <laughs> so, you're, so you were close. You were very close. But Enter 7-7, no, it reveals, as he said, like things are starting to, to reveal themselves. The curtain is being pulled back. We're not quite up to the man behind the curtain. That episode comes a little bit later in season three. The others are introduced in a big way. We're starting to pull the curtain back on them. The barracks is revealed in that first scene of season three. We find out that the barracks is a place that Saeed and Locke and Kate and Mikhail and Danielle are going to head toward by the end of this episode. But this section of season three, I feel like this was this was a turning point for for Lost, I think. I mean, this is where we're starting to drive toward the flash forward that's going to be at the end of season three. We're going to see Jack's hole. We have to go back. All of that is going to happen, and none of that is possible without these middle season three episodes. I think even the early season three episodes as well, where we got the Jack's tattoos flashback episode. We're past that point where we are now currently with Enter 7-7, but that is the famous example that Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse apparently took that as a cue to go to the top people at ABC and say, listen, we got to figure out when to end this thing. We can't just have a Jack's tattoo flashback episode every season and expect people to stay along for the ride. And ABC eventually caves in and says, yeah, sure. When do you want to end it? And they announced three more final seasons. And it was kind of unprecedented at the time that Lost, which was you know still successful at that point of time, is going to end. And it's going to end on its own terms. And it's going to end three years from now. And it's going to end with three seasons of 16 episodes apiece, uninterrupted airing completely uninhibited by any sort of weeks off or anything it's just once it's going to pop in january it's not going to stop until may uh that plan did not play out exactly as intended i don't believe there's the writer's strike during season four. Oh yeah i forgot about that so there was a break in time in season four uh where they had to stop down after meet kevin johnson and they picked back up with the shape of things to come so there's a big break between those two episodes plus the episode order got cut down because there just wasn't enough time to pump out episodes once the writer's strike was resolved. Season 5 airs as planned, 16 episodes. It is uh, all aired uninterrupted. Season 6 deviates a little bit here and there, I believe. But the point being that once Lost gets its ending, and once an end date is in sight, and once Jack Shepard says we have to go back, and we know that Jack and Kate, at least, if not other characters who we will find out in Season 4 do get off the island, that that is not going to be the end of the story. That's a point that we are now building up toward. Everything from season four, season five, season six, all of those seasons, all are now carrying this massive forward momentum in the story of Lost. Now we are on the other side of the hill. Now we are barreling towards our conclusion. There's not a lot of time for ping pong on the beach anymore, Emily, which is why I love this golden period of season three. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's, it's just like fun little anecdotal stories on the side. I mean, there's definitely plot, you know, that's moving forward. There's, a, lo- there's yeah. a lot of forward momentum. Enter 7-7, as we'll talk about extensively, introduces a lot of different ideas and concepts and, you know, moves things forward in interesting ways, maybe not in monumental directions, but slowly. And it's building important pieces. It's bringing Mikhail into the picture, who is a big character throughout the rest of season three. We know that they're moving toward the barracks. We see another station for the first time, the flame, not like it's long for life. The flame flames out pretty fast. How's that for a representation of your name? Yeah, it really it really fits. It fits very well. But on top of that, you're having scenes like uh, Sawyer on the beach, and he is playing ping pong to win his stash back. I mean, and he pulls his hair back halfway. So why can't other people do that? <laughs> Looking at you, Kate. Out. It's hot out. Okay, can we just talk about bad hair alert, first of all? Not for Kate in this episode. I mean, she's doing her thing, as usual. Russo. Ooh, Russo is, is causing a problem for you now. She's been stranded for how long and the girl has bangs? Forget it. That is not real. What would she have, you would think, after no 17 one, years? No one cuts bangs, first of all, unless they absolutely want that as a hairstyle. If she's been out there for 17 years and she originally had bangs, maybe they grew out. Like, maybe maybe you decided, like, that, you know, new hairstyle, pull all your hair back. And her hair is not pulled back. It's just down. There's got to be, like, so many rats' nests in that. So, do you think actual rats? No. Well, I hope not. I mean, it is a dirty island. But maybe if she if she showed up with bangs, wouldn't she, like, if she's giving herself haircuts, like, I like the bangs. I'm going to go back to that. Maybe. But why does she have layers in her hair, too? I don't know. Because those are layers of times when she did bad bangs, when, like, she got the bangs wrong. And so now it's layered with, you know, years and years of horrible bang cuts. No, it's kind of like the classic Dancing with Wolves uh, critique I have, which is, like, the woman who's, like, the lead... Um, uh, like, oh, like heartthrob or whatever that like Kevin Costner is obsessed with, who's like Native American, has like layered feathered hair from the '80s, and it's like, come the fuck on! Whoa, Whoa! massive f bomb drop! Oh sorry. my god, I'm gonna have to edit that out, Emily. I'm really sorry. No, it's okay, and it is a classic critique of yours. I hear you talk about that uh, at least once a month. Uh, no, that's literally the first time I think you and I have ever talked about Dances with Wolves. Yeah, I, I've I have a really soft spot for that movie, but it's really upsetting for me. All right, well, let's get back on. Okay, I'm sorry. I- totally fine. We'll get back on track here. So here's where we're at in season three, because as we were watching Enter 7-7, Emily, I believe you were a little confused about where characters were, why stories were set in motion in the way that they were. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely, because um, I was a little rusty on the kidnapping of Sawyer, Jack, and Kate. And was anyone else kidnapped, too? Hurley briefly, but okay. they let him go. Yeah, okay. And so Jack is still captive at this point, correct? All right, so let me just reset exactly where we are. Season two is obviously that's the season of the hatch. The hatch has been uh, blown open. It's the Swan Station. It's the introduction of the Dharma Initiative. The Dharma Initiative were at least a thing, if not are continuing to be a thing. No one really knows at this point in Lost. That's where Desmond enters the picture. All of that, there's the... I I, I wait for that day. We'll get to a Desmond episode at some point. We need that. It'll happen. So there's, there's the there's the computer and there's the you have to push the button every 108 minutes and blah 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 everyone knows all of that Locke is the one who's really leading the charge on that he eventually has a loss of faith a crisis of faith he decides to stop pushing the button and that ends up being a bad choice because we find out that pushing the button really does keep this electromagnetic charge at bay for a very long time or at least for 108 minutes every time you push it and if you don't push it then bad bad things happen as we see with the purple sky 
as we find out that Desmond not pushing the button once is the reason why Oceanic 815 crashed onto the island. All of that crazy stuff is happening at the end of Season 2. Meanwhile, there's a story going on with Jack and Kate and Sawyer are traipsing through the jungle with Hurley and Michael. Remember Michael? How could we forget Michael? I love Michael. I love Michael, too. They really savaged that character in a very unfair way. We talked about this with Mike earlier. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, So they're going around with Michael, and I mean, granted, at this point, hard to feel so bad for Michael, who has shot two human beings. He killed Anna Lucia. He killed Libby. It's all in an effort to break Benjamin Linus out of custody, and now he has to hand over Jack, Kate, Sawyer, and Hurley. Those are his orders. Jack and uh, Jack is already in on what's going on because, of course, Saeed, who we will talk about a lot in this episode, is a human lie detector, and he is the one person who realizes that Michael is bullshitting them. Yeah, I'm obsessed with his keen like intuition and sense of like danger. It's it's just like unbelievable. It's a superpower. Yeah, and you just see him. He's just checking out the whole area. Kate's sort of like, "What do we do now? Let's just like blow stuff up, or like let's shoot this guy. Let let's do this." And, and Saeed's like, "No, no, Kate, wait." We wait. Uh, So he has busted Michael's plan at that point. So Jack is planning on turning on Michael at some point and using him as a means to get to the others and, you know, enact this whole big plan. It backfires. Michael's plan works. Michael is allowed to leave the island with Walt. And in exchange, Jack, Sawyer, and Kate are handed over to the others as prisoners. And Hurley is let loose so that he can report back to the rest of his people that Jack and Sawyer and Kate have been kidnapped and no one should ever come after them or else terrible things will happen. That is the cliffhanger of season two before we head into season three. And clearly that didn't happen because Kate and Sawyer are back on the beach with everybody at this point in this episode. Right. So lots of stuff happens. The first six episodes of season three, which are among the weaker episodes, or at least the the weaker period, I think, one of the weakest periods of Lost is that first six episodes. We're spending a lot of time on Hydra Island, spending a lot of time Jack being manipulated by Juliet and Ben in equal measure, and the bear cages where Sawyer and Kate bone for the first time. That's a pretty big deal. Do you remember that, Emily? Wow. Wow. Okay, I'm going to take that as a yes. Uh, so we, rem- we remember that. All of that happens. Jack is being courted, basically. This all turns out to be a massive plot on Ben's part. This is one of his many schemes. A long con, if you will. That's a theme that keeps coming up throughout Lost. Ben is trying to manipulate Jack into wanting to perform surgery on his back. He has a tumor. He has a growth on his back. And Jack is drafted into the cause because he is a, a spinal surgeon with a really terrible track record i will add usually things don't work out when he is operating on people yeah i mean i just don't trust the guy among the many reasons why you don't like jack shepard say it was a delight to not have him in this episode yeah well his absence in this episode is actually a really cool thing that it builds up to so jack he you know uses the opportunity to to operate on ben to basically you know create this situation where sawyer and kate are allowed to escape hydra island it's very dramatic it's very action-packed it's really cool and that's basically the turn of of the season, for me at least, where the season really starts to have some forward momentum again. Uh, Jack, he performs the surgery. 
Kate and Sawyer leave. Sawyer takes it very seriously that Jack said, never come for me, Kate. Don't come looking for me. Keep going. Sawyer has no interest in going to find Jack. He thinks Jack made a sacrifice. He takes it at face value. Pretty cool of you, Doc. Thanks for that. Kate is not going to just let that go because that's not Kate. Kate is going to go back into the jungle and she is going to find Jack and she is going to enlist one person that she knows will absolutely help her out in her cause because she met a woman during her captivity named Alex who was a hostile and other an invalid as you might call them, Emily. (laughs) I'm sorry, okay? A hostile. A hostile. So Kate has met Alex during her captivity, and now that she is freed, she goes to find Danielle Rousseau, and she recruits Danielle by saying, I know where your daughter is. I know where your precious Alex is. Come help me find Jack, and I will help you find your daughter. And Locke and Saeed, meanwhile, are on a quest of their own. Mr. Echo has just died. Emily, RIP Mr. Echo. I loved Mr. Echo. Big fan of Mr. Echo. I'm going to give him a big hug. I would love that. I mean, maybe not as much as you do because I've seen Oz, so I remember him as Adebisi. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah, so I remember that, so I don't know if I want to give him a big hug, but I'd give him like a gentle high five at least. Yeah, or like a nice little handshake. I'd probably hug him. I'd hug just about everybody. Would your handshake be a strong grip though, or would you be afraid? I think it would be, I wouldn't go dead fish. I think it would be like a pretty significant handshake. I would try at least. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the right way to do it. I think that's the right way. So Echo has died. He's been killed by the smoke monster. He had his big stick that he left behind, and John is like giving the big funeral to Echo in the middle of this clearing in the woods and he sees Mr. Echo's stick and it says something like, John, look north 315 or some passage that I can't remember because I'm not somebody who's up and up on the Bible. But anyway, he has what he believes to be specific coordinates and specific direction because as we know, John Locke is a man of faith. He is a man who believes in destiny, who believes he's on this island for a purpose. And we're at this moment with John Locke during this period of season three where he has felt awful about what he did with the hatch. He feels very, very much like it was his own crisis of faith that caused the hatch to implode, that caused the Swan Station to implode. He feels terrible about all of that. So he is back on the hunt, trying to figure out what his purpose is, what his destiny is, what his reason for being is. So he is going to go in this direction that Mr. Echo has maybe laid out for him, probably hasn't, but that's how Locke sees things. And Saeed, being Saeed and being a bit of a skeptic himself, wants to see this through as well. So Saeed and Locke happen upon Kate after they find out that Kate is going in search of Jack and the others. So the three of them have met up. Danielle Russo is with them. That's the end of Trisha Tanaka is Dead, one of my favorite episodes of Lost. And that is the last thing we see heading in to Enter 7-7. That is where we are before Enter 7-7 begins, Emily Fox. It begins. It begins. So you see the four of them out in the jungle. And, you know, uh, Russo's hair is just, like, flowing in the breeze, which just does not make sense. It's very hot out. I would pull it back if I were her. Um, but anyway, they're they're cutting through brush. They're they're making strides, but um, Saeed's not pleased about the fact that they've been on foot for like two days. And he's like, John, what are we doing out here? And John Locke is, you know, he's still following these coordinates that he's gotten from Echo. Saeed really doesn't buy into any of that. He says to him at some point, he's like, we're going to, you know, we're going to pick some fruit. 
We're going to have a fruit stop. It's a fruit pit stop. We're going to pick some apples or whatever the crap is here in the bushes. And then when we are done with that, we're going to have a conversation about logic, John Locke. And when he says that and when he goes picking for fruit, he sees a cow in the woods. Yeah, with a cowbell around its neck. More cowbell, please. It's the only solution. Absolutely. Uh, So he sees the cow. He finds the cow. He follows the cow back to a little shack in the woods, which we find out is the flame station operated by Mikhail Bakunin is the name of this man. He is a, a Russian soldier who is claiming to be Dharma Initiative. He has an eye patch. We saw him in the question mark station at the Pearl Station midway through season three. So we already saw him on a monitor a few episodes earlier. So that was already a question of what the crap? What is this eye patch guy? And suddenly here we are at Enter 77 and we are seeing the eye patch guy in full form. And he is going to be a big piece of this episode and figuring out is this guy on the level is he not and this episode plays really well certainly it played really well on that first watch through where you don't know really what the dharma initiative is you don't know if the others are the dharma initiative you don't know uh who the others really are you've you thought that they were just like these jungle dwelling monsters for most of lost to this point until the beginning of season three when you see they live in a fairly civilized community in the barracks so there's so many questions about them they're doing science experiments so you think that maybe they are the dharma initiative or some section of the dharma initiative so when mikhail is saying yeah i was dharma man i'm like the last dharma left like you kind of believe him for a minute until saeed's like yeah this guy is uh bsing us none of this is legit yeah so he's like tapping into his spidey senses and just like checking out the room figuring out that there was a saddle attached to a horse that was like not for mikhail's body type or whatever like so he's just like looking around being like we are not alone at first i thought that you said a satellite attached to a horse and i was like (laughs) of course they're not able to reach the mainland that's a ridiculous way of communicating with people (laughs) no 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 a saddle it's uh, something you use to ride a horse yeah a saddle he sees a saddle on a horse that is not meant to fit mikhail and he takes that as a clue perhaps a missed clue that there may be another person hanging out at the flame station, which is why Saeed is trying to play it really chill and just like buy into Mikhail's story on the surface of it, at least. Aside from being shot in the shoulder. Yeah, that's something that's worth stopping down to take note of is that Saeed gets shot in the shoulder in like five minutes in this episode. It takes no time at all before Saeed is just knocked off his ass with with a gunshot to the shoulder. And he's pretty cool about it for the entirety of the episode really yeah he's like a little sweaty but other than that he seems fine which is just unbelievable he's lucid yeah and he's he's taking it all in he's very easy to talk to he's asking all the right questions on the side he's looking at kate and being like kate stay with me don't mess anything up here so it's it's impressive for me but you know that's what the history of a torturer is. Said is great. <laughs> Said is great. I mean, early on when we started Lost Lives Returns, we were getting sort of the litmus test of how Emily Fox feels about Lost characters. You mentioned Said as one of your number one or two characters, Desmond and Said. What is it about Said, especially after having watched a Said episode, that you respond to so much with Navine Andrews' character on Lost? No, I mean, he basically has gone through hell and back. He has lived a really tumultuous life of being, you know, a torturer in Iraq, which is, like, not what you want to be doing with your time. I'm sure he did not choose to do that. He didn't want to be doing that. And then he's a cook in Paris with this flashback. He's just working in a kitchen. And, you know, he proceeds to be more or less tricked into a kidnapping scheme where he's faced with a woman that he formerly tortured. 
Or so we think. But what we come to learn later on is that she's actually the proprietor of the best Palestinian chicken place in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, because we were watching uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm the other day. And I was like, that's totally the woman from the Palestinian chicken uh, episode where Larry and she hook up. Yeah, she she hooks up with Larry David and it's very controversial in Larry David's world because his friend Marty Funkhauser is now like a reborn Jew where he is really getting back in touch with his Jewish faith and he is at odds with the with the palestinian chicken proprietor and it leads to this very violent conversation between larry and funkhauser okay that's just not gonna work yeah that's not what's not gonna work the yarmulke yeah i can't go in with wearing this yarmulke she's no. shoving it in their face let's go in no 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 no, no. it's yeah. far yeah. too cocky a move what, what is this the raid on Entebbe? Let, let's just kind of walk in casually. what Proud yeah. Jews wear yarmulkes. Yeah, be proud oh, here in the parking lot. You don't need to be off. proud in there. Who, who's the Let's friend? just go in and sit down. No, no, take it off. Take uh, it off. I'm not doing take anything. It off. Don't you huh? dare go on, after my yarmulke. Don't you reach for that. Don't you ever touch that. No. Don't ever grab my yarmulke. Give it to me. Don't ever grab my yarmulke. Ever. How dare you. Don't ever touch my yarmulke. Do you understand? How's that? All right, don't you dare touch Marty Funkhauser's Yarmulke. That is uh, the the climax of the of the big confrontation between Larry and Funkhauser because of how the Palestinian chicken place has factored into Larry's life. I really enjoyed how you just said Yarmulke. Yarmulke. Kippa. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm very self a very self conscious Jew. I'd feel like I never get the terms right. Anyway, let's move on from that. But yes, this is uh, the same woman who owns the Palestinian chicken place in Los Angeles is also somebody that Syed has tortured in his past. We come to find out in this flashback of Enter Seven Seven. This is the fourth Syed flashback, as mentioned. It's the kind of thing where, like, some of these, you know, some of these stories when we get to their fourth flashback episode, or even some in some cases their second or third flashback episode, some of them feel like, are we learning? anything new about the character is there any new information that's coming about based on this flashback that's informing the character like i said before i think that's why stranger in a strange land the jack's tattoos flashback episode was the real sign that like we can't just do tattoo flashbacks we can't do that we got to push the story forward a little bit that really can't be where we're going but i feel like we learned a decent amount about saeed here in the center 77 flashback i agree i mean you see him being a fabulous cook apparently very very good at his craft in paris we missed him by like two weeks i know i'm really upset about that um but you see him just under pressure sort of figuring out okay why am i supposed to be talking to this guy over here because he he's very skeptical skeptical about the guy who talks to him and calls him over to the at the restaurant where he's like hey this food's really delicious come work in my kitchen sammy not uh jeff and Susie's daughter no 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 off of the curb beat um yeah, so Saeed initially is just like, well, this is a little sketchy, which is great, tapping into those spidey senses again. Um, but then he's very quickly um, introduced to the restaurant itself and then thrown in the back of the kitchen and just left there. Thrown in the back of the kitchen, just left there. What I like about this flashback is it calls back to Saeed's time as a torturer without having to see him do anything. Like, you get everything in in the present-day status, or at least the present of that flashback. You get everything in that sort of modern context of the woman that he is coming face-to-face with, who he's 
lying to. He's saying, I don't yeah. know this woman. And you also don't know if he's lying or not because you haven't actually seen any of those flashbacks of, of him actually doing this to people. So it's really interesting to see how he's denying, he's denying, he's denying. And then finally, at the last flashback, he comes forward and says to her, you're right. I, you're, I'm haunted by your face. It's cool to see him break. And it's a great performance from Navy and Andrews. And it's a great thing to see in Saeed's past that one of the people that has no reason to forgive Saeed, somebody who has a reason to carry that grudge with her forever and ever and ever and a day, can hang on to that for the rest of her life, uh, decides to forgive Saeed because Saeed confesses. And Saeed is able to see some empathy and some compassion from another human being, especially someone who he himself had demoralized and brutalized so badly. That I think to have that in Saeed's past before everything we see of him on the island where he's constantly constantly going through these struggles where he himself is reactivating his life as a torturer much to his chagrin does not like that he has to do it he's constantly you know he is the tortured torturer is what i like to say about oh, saeed I love that. that's a great term i think that that's you know who he is is he's somebody who has done a, he's inflicted a lot of harm in his past and he himself is so deeply damaged by what he's done and he carries that with him forever and is never able to fully forgive himself as far as i can see other than maybe the flash sideways universe and i don't really want to talk about that but you get in this episode that somebody has forgiven him that he has been absolved by at least one person and that's not enough to affect his present actions the only way it affects him in the present is he has an opportunity later on in the episode to just outright execute mikhail which might be like the smart move because he's mikhail is saying like i'm gonna kill you when you least suspect it sorry if someone looked as scary as mikhail showed up and was like i'll come find you again i'd be like nope (laughs) no you won't here is a fist to the face and now i'm tying you up and throwing you away forever yeah no i would not let that guy live i'm sorry yeah very ruthless emily fox uh, he has an eye patch you want that showing up on your door so first you have problems with invalids now you have a problem with people with eye patches what is going on here i have a problem with people with eye patches i have a problem with people that are mikhail who have an eye patch that come after you and senselessly beat you up yeah or shoot you yeah that's a lot more sensible that makes kill or be killed man that makes a lot more sense to me uh but he's you know he's basically gonna have the opportunity to either kill this guy or keep him as a prisoner and he decides to keep him as a prisoner so how do you feel about the overlying theme of felines in this episode i love the felines i mean i think that that is a big piece of it too is you know he is seeing that mikhail has a cat a cat named nadia did you like that nadia being the name of saeed's true love and also, Nadia is a great Olympic star from, like, the 70s, which is why he has a poster of her on the wall. And I first learned about Nadia when I was in college, actually. And she is fantastic, so. So what's her deal? I don't know anything about her. My roommate from all four years of college, who's a dear, dear friend of mine, was uh, formerly a gymnast before she got injured. But she always loved Nadia. She always talked about Nadia. And there was a movie that came out in 1984, like a TV movie about Nadia that Lara had on DVD or VHS or something and was like, we're going to watch this. So like one Sunday afternoon, she's like, all right, it's Nadia time. And we watched the movie and it was great. Nadia, but nice. Yeah, but she won like a bajillion gold medals by the time she was like 14 or 15. That's a lot of gold medals. Insane amount of gold medals, yeah. She's a Romanian gymnast. All right, so a bajillion gold medals. A bajillion gold medals to the cats in this episode of Lost. Emily and I, we are cat people, not people who also have our DNA spliced with the DNA of cats, so we're not like, you know, cat-human hybrids, but we are people who own cats. I did have a cab driver once tell me that my eyes reminded me of his cat's eyes. I was really hoping that you were going to say, I did have a cab driver once who was a cat-human hybrid. (laughs) 
Rare. Uh, so no, second rare for the time. No, no cat human hybrids. Lots of rare in this episode for sure. Nadia is the name of Mikhail's cat, and of course the woman that Saeed had tortured, the Palestinian chicken woman. She uh, tells Saeed about this story. She has a cat with her, and it's like this cat was tortured by these kids, horribly, horribly, horribly abused. She came into my possession. She sits with me. She loves on me. She sleeps with me everywhere that I am. It's not a girl. Okay, it's a male cat. I apologize for that. But the cat has been through a lot, but really, really loves and adores this woman, except sometimes bites her and scratches her and does things like that because she doesn't always remember that she's safe. Does this or does this not sound exactly like our cat, Bella, Emily Fox? To a T. This is exactly how Bella is. Bella is uh, one of our two cats. Pardo is the big fat cat. Bella is the small skinny cat who doesn't eat. He eats all the food. She eats none of it. And she is obsessed with Emily, except when she does lash out every once in a while because she was a street cat who was raised on the streets of Baltimore and sometimes lashes out and has violent problems. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, I don't know, tries to Shawshank us. Try to Shawshank us? Yeah, she tried to escape. Oh yeah, we had a, we had a thing. We don't need to go all the way into it, but we almost lost the cat the other day, and it was very depressing. And we were about to record this podcast for Enter Seven Seven, and then Bella suddenly vanished, and we had no idea where she was, and that was very 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 terrifying. We thought that we had left her outside, and she had just escaped. Yeah, but she just decided to go underneath a piece of furniture that we never thought she would have fit underneath. Uh, So we just ran around scrambling for about three hours, calling her name, whistling to her, trying to do anything to coax her back in. And meanwhile, she was just like sitting below us the entire time. Just chilling. Yeah. Um, So very, very glad that that has been resolved. This podcast might be in your ears two days earlier if that doesn't happen. Unfortunately, it did happen. So if you're upset about a delay in the Lost Lives podcast this week. Blame the cat. Blame the cat. Always blame the cat. So, yeah, I love that there's really never cats on Lost. Yeah, well, it's not really. (laughs) More of a dog show. Yeah, more of a dog show, I would say. Um, But you're also in the middle of the jungle, and I feel like cats would just be like, see ya. Not interested. Are you upset that Mikhail's cat, Nadia the cat, the flame station explodes by the end of the episode. Nadia the cat is okay, but now she's just going to be like wandering around in the woods. What's going to happen? You know what I'm upset about is all the perfectly great cattle that got destroyed by that explosion. I hadn't really thought about that, but of course all of the and livestock the is gone. And the horse, because you know when, when there are fires, horses run into the flames. That's why people have horrible, horrible stories about there being a fire in the barn and people losing horses, because horses freak out and run into the flames. Yeah. Yeah, so probably all these cows are dead. The horse is definitely dead. Why wouldn't they have taken the horse as like... It's really stupid. Locke shouldn't have hit that button. It's classic Locke, though. I know. It's it's so annoying. It's very very Locke. That was such a Locke thing to do. But I had never really stopped down to think about the uh, the animal casualties in this moment. But, of course, they're all gone. That's what I'm here for. Just to remind you about, like, you know, (laughs) the things that are more important than humanity. Animals. They are literally they are literally deceased. They are they are all gone long long before all of this. And I feel like we've kind of uh, buried the lead here. There is this great you know just to appreciate Saeed a little bit more. There's this great scene in the middle of the episode. It's after Saeed has been shot. It's after Saeed has already deduced that Mikhail is not who he says he is. Is not part of the Dharma Initiative. He is one of them. And Saeed is very very good at basically always right, almost always right when he sizes somebody up. If Saeed tells somebody, like, if he tells Jack, this is who this guy is, this is what he's all about, this is what he's after, this is what he wants, you should believe Saeed 
at least 9.9 times out of 10. He's very, very good at this stuff. So he already knows that Mikhail is not on the level, and he plays it cool. And Kate plays it pretty cool. She's like, yeah, man, thanks for the iced tea. It's been so long since we've had ice. This is really sweet of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Kate's just like, okay, just follow his lead, follow his lead, which is good because sometimes she goes a little rogue. And she goes little, way rogue. Yeah, she gets a little hot-headed, and you're like, no, 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 be cool, be chill, be chill. So, like, I'm glad that she followed his lead on this. So she follows his lead, and Saeed is, you know, he's holding strong for a moment. Can we just talk about what Locke's doing in all of this? <laughs> we'll talk about Locke more. He's playing chess right now. We'll yeah. talk about chess in a minute. Sure. But Saeed, he plays it cool. He, you know, drops this line where he's like, oh, man, we had a sailboat. The hostels took, you know, one of your hostels took our sailboat. Good thing I killed one of them. Yeah, so he's just, like, clearly trying to provoke him. Yeah, and at that point, Mikhail's like, all right. Why are we playing this stupid game when we all know it has moved to the next stage? And it leads to this really awesome fight scene in the middle of the episode. Saeed, always great in one-on-one combat. Yeah, and Kate got slapped across the face. I felt bad for her. That looked like it hurt. It looked like it hurt, but she's able to knock out Mikhail at the end of this thing. She gets sort of the, the finishing blow in the fight. That's true. That's true. So she comes back strong. Mikhail is a great character because Mikhail is a character who is very physical. He's constantly either getting into fights or if you can even call them fights, he's just getting his crap wrecked. That guy, speaking of wrecked Mike Bloom, Mikhail is a guy who gets wrecked all the time. He gets knocked all over the place by Saeed and Kate in this episode. He gets punched out again by the end of the episode. In the, in the very next one, I think, is when they're going to find the sonic fence that keeps the smoke monster at bay. Do you remember right. that? I forgot about this and he gets like electrocuted doesn't he yeah because like they don't know if the sonic fence is on or not and they don't know if they can trust mikhail so Locke decides to throw mikhail through the fence to test whether or not it works and then mikhail like convulses and tremors and bleeds out the sides of his ears and seemingly dies and they have to climb over the sonic fence to continue on toward the barracks but like four episodes later mikhail just shows up again and he gets into a fight with Jin and desmond i think yeah, he's like the modern day rascal Sputin. You just can't kill him. You really can't. He's got as many lives as his cat, Nadia. <laughs> Rare. Rare, indeed. Uh, Mikhail is going to like show up later when John Locke is being courted by the others and he is living with the others. Mikhail is going to show up and try to get into a fight with Locke. And I think Locke just totally trashes Mikhail there as well. He's just like, man, sucks for you. Mikhail is going to show up at the Looking Glass station in the final episode of season three, considered by many to be the best episode of Lost, if not one of the very best episodes of Lost, the whole uh, We Have to Go Back episode. And Mikhail is going to show up in the Looking Glass station, the underwater station. He's going to kill two of his fellow hostiles, two of his fellow others, and he's going to get shot in the chest with like a harpoon gun by Desmond. Oh man, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's that. You definitely are getting wrecked there. You're getting wrecked there. That doesn't even kill him. <laughs> he um, he is able to survive getting harpooned in the chest. He goes for a swim in the water. He brings a hand grenade with him. He finally blows himself up, and he causes the incident that causes Charlie to drown. So he kills Mikhail. He kills Mikhail. Mikhail kills Charlie in his final act of life. But it takes like several, several, several beatdowns before he's finally off the board for good. Doesn't he, like, wave hello before he detonates the grenade? He basically, I think he, like, knocks on the window to be like, hi, yeah. I'm here. 
I feel like I remember that really, really well. But I've also watched that particular episode a bunch because that's one of my favorites. Which yeah. clearly, I mean, everyone says it's like one of their favorites. But it, it is really good. It's super good. It's super good. Anyway, that's the that's sort of the legend of Mikhail as a punching bag. I think he, he is the best punching bag. Other than, nah, Benjamin Linus is probably the punching bag of Lost. But Mikhail might be, especially for the amount of screen time he had, close second. He even gets his... He even gets he even gets killed in the flash sideways which is some version of the afterlife purgatory sort of thing so he's dying again after he's died do you think he like read the script and was like again come on guys who am i kenny it might be that andrew divoff the actor who played mikhail made a wish to be constantly beaten up and killed on lost and his wish was granted yeah that's gonna be tough though i i, I have- one might even say that he is a wish master one two and three that's because he was in a series of horror movies called The Wishmaster. Oh, okay. That's why I said it. Okay. I thought you like came up with this. No, I didn't. I mean, I did, but it was not it was not based on nothing. Josh, can we just move on, please? <laughs> let's, okay, let's move on. <laughs> anyway, I like that this episode introduces Mikhail, who is a short-term character on Lost, is really fun throughout season three, is constantly getting tooled on by, you know, you name it. Like, almost everybody gets their hands on Mikhail at some point, I feel like. So I love that. I always thought that that was really fun. Great episode for Saeed, uh, you know, again, with, you know, showing some empathy or learning some empathy, finally feeling some empathy in his flashbacks, showing some of that toward Mikhail in the end here, just being a badass with knowing you know when someone is telling him the truth when something is amiss when something is awry he is the guy who figures out that there is somebody else here at the flame station it turns out to be b b clue is the name of this character who was introduced in season two is one of the others who was uh, foremost responsible for watching walt while walt had been captured was running all sorts of ambiguous mysterious tests that are never fully explained on lost that's where she's coming in from she's also there on the docks when Kate and Jack and Sawyer are getting kidnapped, which is why Kate hates this woman and why Kate has no problem just punching her straight in the face as soon as she sees her. Yeah, I totally forgot about this character. Totally forgettable. Well, I think that she's totally forgettable in the grand scheme of things, but yeah. in in the moment, she was one of those characters like, when are we going to see Mrs. Clue again? She's going to be the person who shows us what happened to Walt. She's going to be the connection to that. And then here she is showing up for the very first time in season three after only two appearances in season two that were intriguing enough to make her one of those off-season characters that you couldn't wait to see more from. And then she's just shot. She's just shot here. Yeah, well, she's speaking... Um in russian i guess she's speaking in russian and you can actually translate this this was a really fun thing that people did oh really that's cool yeah back in the day uh that whole scene was translated and she's basically saying to mikhail uh our cover is blown i don't have the transcript in front of me this is just from memory it's like our cover is blown we have to protect our secrets shoot me and then shoot yourself basically is what she's saying and that's why mikhail shoots her oh but he opted to stay alive well, no, you see him, he's turning, he's about to turn the gun on himself. What you don't realize is this one single gunshot will not kill me. I have to blow myself up. This, I'm not just an ordinary man. Yeah, yeah. nice thinking, B. <laughs> no, he goes to shoot himself. I'm sure it would probably work, but Locke gets the would gun. It? We don't know. Would it? We don't know. If a harpoon doesn't kill this man? I feel like a bullet to the head would do the, the I think that would take care of it. I don't know. You might have to Rasputin him where he gets shot like a million times and thrown into a river or something like that. In any event, he's going, he's trying to shoot himself, but John Locke grabs the gun. That's why the gun like fires off into the air. And then he just gets his crap beaten in by John Locke and Saeed and Kate and everybody around because that's what happens to Mikhail at all times. It's pretty fun. 
it's pretty great. That's that. That's that. Uh, talking about other characters in this episode, let's talk about John Locke. First of all, so John Locke, he's on his mission. He's a man on his mission. He is a man who, after not pushing the button, deciding to stop pushing the button and causing all the problems that happened at the end of season two and the little bit of the beginning of season three, I think John Locke is a man who feels like, if a button presents itself, I should push it. That seems to be where he is. He takes that a little literally as he shows up at the flame station, sees that there's a chess game on the computer, and decides that this is a perfectly good time for him to settle down and play chess. I mean, it's almost a foreshadowing of uh, how addicted we are to technology, that he was like, oh, I have to play with the computer now. What's amazing <laughs> is Lo- Lost doesn't take place in the smartphone era, but right. you got to wonder like, what would happen if John Locke had a tablet. I feel like that would be really <laughs> that would be bad news. He would not be a good person to give that to you would never he would never go knife you know he would be bad at knife throwing you would never go boar hunting again forget the walkabout he would just be chilling in his chair just on the ipad at all times i feel like he would download way too many apps way too many apps. yeah but he would like probably play like those hunting games on like a phone or, or, or a tablet yeah but he gets really into it though like he's so into the chess game that he doesn't even hear the commotion between saeed mikhail and kate until it's over do you think he'd be, like, really into dots or, like, drop seven or maybe words with friends? I see him uh, as a words with friends player, except he is just doing the solo games against the computer over and over again because John Locke was a lonely man who didn't really have friends. Well, that just painted a very sour picture. Maybe playing Settlers of Catan on his phone. I'm not really sure. Uh, Emily, Mike Bloom wanted to know who is better at chess between you and me. I don't know how to play chess, so I believe that would be you. That is why I said uh, unequivocally me. Uh, I am the answer to that question. Yeah, I never learned how to play chess. We had a checker and chess board set that like came in the same thing. And I always wanted to learn how to play chess, and no one ever taught me. Were you big into backgammon? No. You could have played backgammon with John Locke? I've never played backgammon either. Never played backgammon. Never, never played chess. I'm not claiming to be a chess master by any stretch of the imagination. I just know that I could beat you in chess. I'm a really good Moncala game player. You know Moncala? Never played Moncala. Well, that's weak. That's a great vacation game. We should play that. I feel like you can't shame me for never playing Moncala when you've never played chess. No, you're, you're totally right. I I'm just being terrible. (laughs) So Locke is obsessed with chess. He's really into playing chess. And he he beats this unbeatable game that was designed by three grandmasters. And it cheats, according to Mikhail. Which, you know, back during, like, the heyday of Lost when we didn't know what the ending is. And we feel like every question is going to be answered. And every mystery is going to be solved. So much analysis on that. I remember people being like, who are the three grandmasters? What is he referring to? Are there three people in charge of the eye? and all of this stuff. Ultimately, all of that was just, you know, for fun and games and smoke and mirrors. Well, don't you want to speculate it right now? No, because there's nothing to speculate on because the show ended. How do you know? Because the show ended unless Lost returns, which is part of the reason why we're doing Lost Lives Returns. Maybe in Lost 2, we will find out who these three grandmasters are, but we never found out on Lost 1. So we learn how to make a computer cheat? That's going to be the whole plot and premise of Lost 2. That's your version of Lost 2. It just sounds so thrilling. It sounds it sounds really good. But no, I mean, this is just classic Locke. And the other thing about Locke, too, you wonder, like, why is he blowing up the flame station? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing all of that? He sees this Dharma video. He sees the man who we once knew as Marvin Candle is now, I believe, Mark Wickman or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, like, enticed by the way that it's set up and sort of, like... 
He's just mesmerized by this guy who keeps telling him to press things. But he has seen this guy before, and so he's like, all right, let me follow down this rabbit hole a little bit. I think that John Locke has become a person who once again has been reaffirmed, you know what, I am in Wonderland, and sometimes Wonderland wants me to push buttons, and who am I to deny the button-pushing gods that be, the powers that be? Why would I not push this button? So he's going to push the button. He's going to blow up the flame station. I think another piece of it, too, is we find out that the flame station is this community communications beacon this is i mean it's obviously it's not working right now but if it were to work this is the way to communicate with the outside world and i think in Locke's mind he doesn't want to leave the island in a couple of episodes from now he's going to blow up the submarine specifically because he doesn't want to go anywhere uh so if Locke is destroying the flame station then they're destroying one of their best chance of communicating with the outside world and that achieves Locke's goal or goes further to achieve Locke's goal of never leaving the island and being here forever no rescue he does not want to be rescued I appreciate Locke, you know, kind of following through and having all of this faith. But if I were anybody else on the island, I'd be like, this guy is ruining everything. Well, that happens a lot. I mean, he is another candidate for just like constantly getting his butt whooped. A lot of people get their hands on Locke. I know. It's just very frustrating to me. Like, have one thing as a backup. Just like one thing. It's just Locke's character. I'm a Locke apologist. We're not going to get into a big Locke debate right now. Maybe later on down the line. I mean, if I was suddenly able to walk again after not having legs move, like, I would probably be pretty pumped to be him, too. Yeah, I think that that would give you, uh, that would make you pretty excited. I think you'd be pretty pumped to be John Locke in that case. That's really the main story that's going on in the episode in the Flame Station. We mentioned Danielle Rousseau briefly, and really, it only should be brief, because she, she sees that they're going to the Flame Station. She's like, yo, I'm out of here i'm not involved in this she's like there's a reason i've been here for as long as i've been here and it's because i don't talk to that guy rousseau was like they 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 see the flame station and saeed goes to rousseau's like have you seen this place before she's like i've never seen this place before which is an amazing statement coming from someone who's been there for 17 years and does not know every inch of that island that's somebody who has played this game soups conservatively yet she still has bangs (laughs) she still has bangs well that's because it's from another station she's too busy quaffing her hair she goes to the scissors station where she gets her haircut every, you know, two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. But no, Danielle just is like, yeah, if you guys are going to engage with that guy, I'm out. I'll talk to you when you're done. And that's essentially what happens. Like the whole episode passes. They capture Mikhail and Saeed whistles for Danielle and she just emerges from the jungle, which is a really great gag, I thought. To be fair, though, I think that's m- what my move would be. I'd be like, you see that guy with an eye patch? I'll be down by the river. Yeah, I think that's me later. I think that's fair. I think that's fair play. Try to bring a cow back oh wait you blew him up then the other big thing that happens in the episode i think that this will tie back into my larger point of why i love this sort of era of season three the other big storyline in the episode is sawyer is back from captivity he's been back for one episode already he was back for trisha tanaka is dead he goes into the woods with hurley and charlie and Jin, and they rev up the dharma van and they drink the beer in the jungle and it's very fun and i love that episode so so much uh but sawyer is back and he's just starting to reacclimate to life on the beach and he realizes that his stuff my stuff has been taken that all of his stash has been divvied up among all the other survivors including paolo who he calls zorro at one point which is sort of racist and really in line with sawyer's character uh but sawyer wants his stuff back and so the rest of the survivors are basically like look we'll give you your stuff back 
if you can beat us in ping pong. It's a it's an island ping pong. It's beach ping pong. One of the final ping pong uh, appearances on Lost. Not the final ping pong appearance on Lost. Not even Sawyer's final ping pong game on Lost. But it's a really fun little side story where if Sawyer wins, he gets his stash back. And if he loses, he can't call anyone by a nickname for a week. And this is Sun is the one who sets the stakes. And she, Yunjin Kim, delivers that so well, I think. Do you think that was like the day in the writer's room where someone was like, oh, I'm taking next week off. And they're like, oh, but you come up with all the nicknames for Sawyer's character. Yeah, it's like that guy's on vacation. So now we have to build in a reason why Sawyer's not going to be able to use nicknames for a few episodes. Yeah, I mean, that guy just wanted to take his family on a fun you know, trip to Disney World. That makes sense to me. I would do the same exact thing. Hopefully not a trip to Epcot. Bad things happen when you take your family on trips to Epcot. Um, <laughs> but Sawyer's going to lose and Hurley is going to Uncle Phil him. He's going to pool shark him and he's yeah. going to be the guy who's so good at ping pong. Excellent reference. I know. Excellent Fresh Prince reference. All it takes to win Emily Fox's heart is a good, well-timed Fresh Prince uh, reference. But yeah, so Hurley is going to win. Sawyer is not going to be able to call anyone by a nickname. He's about to make a fat joke at Hurley. And Hurley's like, ah, nah, uh it's Hurley. Or Hugo, if you'd prefer. And so Sawyer says, get bent, Hugo. I know. What a, what a sick thing to say. It's great. I love it. And I think it's a few more episodes at least. Maybe, you know, may, maybe as few as one. Uh, no more than four, I would say. I don't know off the top of my head. But... Sawyer doesn't call people by nicknames for a little while. Like this actually has some impact on the show in terms of the dialogue and the conversations with people. They keep that in check where Sawyer just, he has to bite his tongue. He's not able to call anybody like, uh, you know, he's not able to say Jabba when he looks at Hurley. He's not able to, you know, make some sort of joke at the expense of Jin not being able to speak English and call him some sort of funky name. He has to call them Jin. He has to call him Hurley. It's really fun. He's like the least politically correct person on the show, I think. Oh yeah, that's not a stretch yeah yeah and this is all because jim goes to disney world with his family for the week huh that's all because of jim classic jim but this really does tie back to why i love this era of season three is like there's just a random ping pong side plot here in the middle of season three while kate and Locke and saeed are ripping through the jungle finding out things about the others trying to find their way towards jack trying to find their way toward the barracks which has been a central mystery of the season so far but we still have time to play ping pong on the beach it's why i love trisha tanaka is dead there's still time to have this golf you know this golf like adventure you know the golf was the golf course was such a whimsical thing in season one this is a moment of whimsy where like you can go for a joy ride in the jungle you can have a ping pong game here in the middle of season three you have expose coming up a couple of episodes from here this is basically the last time that lost does any of this this is basically the last time that lost does much meandering does a lot of whimsy basically from season four and onward it's plot 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 go 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 and that's great in a lot of cases not in every case but season three is really the final time where you're just getting to chill out on the beach with these people who we've come to love since season one and i think maybe that was frustrating during the first watch through the show while the show was airing live. But I think on rewatch, these are the episodes for me that I enjoy the most. It's the classic season one stuff, a good amount of season two. And I really enjoy this period of season three where you can just check in on your favorite characters and they're doing some pretty fun, low stakes stuff. I also think it's a great juxtaposition given the fact that you're talking about really heavy topics about Saeed and his flashbacks too. It's like nice to take a little breather and just watch everyone having fun on the beach. But I completely agree with you. I think the stuff that's not as plot motivated that are kind of like interstitial uh, windows between bigger plot points are a really nice refreshing way to watch this show. 
I think that that's the best stuff. I think that's what holds up the best on Lost because I'm still a mega Lost fan, as evidenced by the fact that I'm you know recording a close to you know two and a half hour podcast, a little bit longer than that, about Lost several years after it's gone off the air. But I'm also very upfront about the fact that I don't love the ending. I'm not a huge fan of how it wraps. I don't really care for that final season. There's it's got certainly it's got plenty of moments, but it also has plenty of weaknesses that I have never come to full resolution with, and I don't know that I ever will. Uh, So knowing, for me at least, that the story of Lost isn't as satisfying as the characters of Lost and the scenes of Lost and the moments of Lost, then it's really stuff like this that really plays the best for me on the rewatch. I'm not going back and trying to find out what the whispers are and piecing those clues together, because the answer is finally going to come in the final season of the show, and it's going to be a little bit of a shoulder shrug for me. Things like that. But they, anytime that they put a van in the jungle or anytime they put a ping pong tournament together on the beach that almost always is a grand slam for me uh and in this episode especially i'd completely forgotten about this storyline on enter 77 it was such a treat to go back and watch that stuff i agree i agree i think it was really fun anything else from this episode before we sign out for this episode no, man, I think you did a pretty good job of recapping, and I messed it up along the way. <laughs> no, you're fantastic. <laughs> fantastic as always. All right, so now comes the point in the episode where we... Oh, wait, you know what? Actually, before we leave talking about Enter 7-7, I would be remiss if I didn't introduce you to something absolutely spectacular, Emily, from our good friend Alex Kuntz, who had written in once he found out that we were going to be talking about Enter 7-7, that there was something that we needed to see that we couldn't possibly go uh, without remarking upon Emily. Okay. All right. So this was a really this is a great blooper from Enter Seven Seven. So you know the moment in the episode where Saeed and Locke and Kate they have already knocked out Mikhail and they're trying to figure out where is this second person that Saeed is convinced is here. And Locke says, "I don't know where you could possibly be. I've searched every nook and cranny." And Saeed pulls back the rug and there is a false uh, false door in the floor. And he says, "Not every nook and cranny, John." Yeah, that's a pretty badass moment. It's a pretty badass moment, but was it always so badass? Let's listen to this. If there's anyone else here, they're hiding pretty good. I, I checked every nook and cranny. Not every nook and cranny, John! <laughs> what? <laughs> good God, Holmes! <laughs> So there you go. That was the time that Saeed Jarrah completely broke character and destroyed John Locke and Kate in the process. Not every nook and cranny. All right. Well, I think that we maybe we haven't explored every nook and cranny in Enter 7-7, but I feel like we've explored a bunch of them. Makes me think of Thomas's English muffins. Mm, I would love an English muffin right now. Yeah. Don't they talk about that in the commercials, the really old ones? Did you have any English muffins with your garlic this morning? Low blow, man. <laughs> All right. So this is the part of the episode where we determine what we are going to watch next week when lost lives returns returns and how we do this is we go to episodegenerator.com and we spin the frozen donkey wheel until it lands on 4 8 15 or 16 hopefully we are not getting that far and we are just constantly regenerating an episode title and the fourth or the eighth or the 15th or the 16th we are deciding that that is the episode that we are going to watch emily are you prepared for this yes would you let me use the mouse i would be honored if you used the mouse so i'm handing the mouse over to emily she is hovering over generate next episode and here's where we are beginning would you believe it season one episode 13 hearts and minds which we discussed last week did you legit just click on this yeah it just started and yeah. that's where it is yeah why wouldn't you let me click you just gave
gave me the mouse. No, I opened up the window that just starts on a default. I didn't click anything, you control freak. Oh, well, it, it's highlighted. It looks like you clicked it. Like, you were like, oh, here's the mouse right here. Click. We don't need to get lost in the woods of this. All right, so now get you have lost. you have the button. You can click the button. What is episode two? We will not be talking about this episode. It is season one, episode 22, Born to Run, the third ever Kate flashback episode. Much better than the second Kate flashback episode. Not better than the first. Mm, Okay, then. All right, we will not be discussing this episode. Click it again. Generate next episode. Season two, episode six, Abandoned. Well, this would have been fun. This is the episode where Shannon dies. Ah, Shannon. Shannon. Shannon dies taken away from us (laughs) yes she is taken or taken away from us yes that is the end of shannon and that is not going to be discussed here i think we've discussed shannon enough all right episode number four this is our first possible option of episodes to discuss and it is season six episode one lax part one part one of a two-part final season premiere of lost emily groaned I'm kind of groaning. Sorry, guys. I'm really not ready to go into season six. Yeah, I think this is down the line. I think it's down the line if we ever get there. I'm really not interested in re-exploring season six right now. All right, so let's go on episode five. This will not be selected. Season five, episode 14, The Variable. A great episode of Lost in the thick of the time travel season. This is the episode where Daniel Faraday gets killed. We will not be discussing this one. All right. Episode number six. We will not be discussing this one as well. Season three, episode nine, Stranger in a Strange Land. Jack's Tattoos. This is the episode that so many people say is the worst episode of Lost ever. Worst episode or worst tattoos? Bad tattoos. Not great tattoos. I don't... So bad. I don't think that it's the worst episode of Lost. We will not explore that uh, today, although maybe we'll see. All right. Episode seven is going to be season one episode one pilot part one the the very very first episode of lost ever or at least the first half of the first which we've discussed on the podcast before not breaking my heart that we will not be talking about it today all right, all right. number eight lucky number eight fingers crossed that this is a good one otherwise we are in for a world of hurt and it is going to be season five episode 15 follow the leader penultimate episode of season five uh it's not bad i don't think it's really worth our time all right man it's the episode where john locke is you know back alive amongst the living quote unquote it's secretly he's the smoke monster but we don't know that yet and la 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 all that stuff is happening all right so here's what's going to happen we are going to yada 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 to episode 15 pause in the recording let's see if episode 15 is any better we're going to spare you guys the details of counting up to episode 15 All right, so we got to our 15th pick, and it is season three's The Cost of Living. Emily, this is a Mr. Echo episode. Fabulous. It's also Mr. Echo's final episode. Sad. Do you want to talk about Mr. Echo's episode next week, or you don't seem super jazzed about it? I just feel like we're so close to this already from this week. I want to kind of jump a little bit farther away. I don't disagree. Uh, All right, what is episode 16? We'll make one last-ditch effort to see if episode generator is going to make us happy. It's another Mr. Echo episode. It's the first Mr. Echo episode is number 16. Season 2, episode 10, the 23rd Psalm. Perhaps Lost wants us to talk about Mr. Echo, Emily, but you don't seem like you really want to talk about it. In the words of John Locke, I'm a man of faith. 
I don't, I don't know if he ever said that, but I, I, I have good faith in the fact that this episode generator is trying to steer us in the right direction. So if we need to watch a Mr. Echo episode, then let's do it. All right. If the island wants us to watch a Mr. Echo episode, then perhaps we should watch a Mr. Echo episode. I think actually, first off, we haven't done a season two episode yet. Uh, this, we haven't really talked much about Charlie. Charlie is prominently featured in this episode. That's correct. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to explore this one. All right. So we'll talk about the cost of living, the first Mr. Echo flashback episode here. We'll talk about Mr. Echo in general. He's a character that we haven't talked a ton about on Lost Lives in the Past, so I'm excited about that. I think that'll be fun. There'll be some classic season two-isms that we can talk through, I'm sure, both in The Cost of Living and outside of it. It's also a great Smoke Monster episode. It's our first really extensive look at the Smoke Monster in all of Lost, Emily. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to kind of delve back into that. That'll be fun. All right, so we'll talk about The Cost of Living. I'll also talk about Echo's arc and why I think that even though Echo dies prematurely and clearly did not die when Lost wanted him to, there were extended circumstances involved with Adewale Akinoye Agabaje. The actor did not want to be on the show anymore. Oh, really? I never heard about that. So we'll talk that through a little bit, but I still think that the way that they killed him off really fuels the smoke monster reveal later on in the show. I've always loved that. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about all sorts of stuff with Mr. Echo. That'll be fun, Emily. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it too, Josh. All right, Emily, any other hot takes? Anything else that you want to throw our way before we sign out here? Just practice your Mr. Echo handshake with me. Does he have... Yeah, okay. Does this feel like that's pretty good? That's pretty strong. A pretty strong handshake, right, guys? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Listen, that was no joke. I'm not good at many things, but I do a decent handshake, I do a good high five, and I do a great hug. I agree with all of these things. All right, so we will be back next week talking about Mr. Echo, talking about the 23rd Psalm here. Thanks so much, Emily. Bonsoir. Bonsoir, Josh. All right, and there you have it. Thank you, Emily Fox, for joining me once again to talk about Lost. It's been a real pleasure picking Emily's brain about Lost. I think she's hilarious. Hopefully you guys are having a good time with all of that. Follow Emily. I forgot to say, follow Emily on Twitter. She's at Emilet. Uh We don't have a hashtag for the podcast, I realized, as well. I think maybe hashtag Stunt Baby is pretty fun from the Mike Bloom section of the podcast. That was really great. Uh, also, maybe if you could figure out how to hashtag round, that might be appropriate for Emily. You guys can figure it out. But anyway, week three of Lost Lives pretty much in the can, except for one little piece of business, as we always do here when we are wrapping up Lost Lives. We give you a little tease of what's ahead at the next week of Lost Lives. So here is a little preview of who's going to be joining us next week on Lost Lives Returns by playing what this man has to say about how Lost 2 might look. And man, this is very different, very different from anything we've heard before. So brace yourself and we'll talk about it in just a few minutes. Hey guys, this is AJ Mass, and this is how I see the beginning of Lost 2. We open on an eye, because of course we open on an eye. A slow pullout reveals a disheveled man wearing a suit, lying in the middle of what appears to be a jungle. Now where have I seen that actor before? Slightly injured scratches on his face and somewhat disoriented, he struggles to get his bearings when a sound off in the distance gets his attention and he turns his head to look. A yellow lab walks up through bamboo shoots, whimpers and darts off. A man struggles to his feet, and Scott Wolf, that's the actor's name, Scott Wolf, he pulls an empty drink bottle from his pocket and runs through the thicket faster, faster, past a lone sneaker hanging from a tree. Breathing heavily, he emerges onto a beach, quiet, serene, as the camera pans. We hear the screams before we see the wreckage. People running in every direction. A man screams for his son, Wolf. A man, pinned under part of the landing gear, screams for help. As Scott Wolf begins to run over to help this man, there's the sound of an explosion and pyrotechnics sending him to the ground.
Cut. What the hell just happened? We are actually on a Hollywood soundstage, and everything we've just seen is part of a TV show being filmed. As Scott Wolf angrily storms off to his trailer, while the director reprimands an extremely apologetic stagehand who jumped the gun on his cue for the explosion, we follow instead a network executive talking to the showrunner as they head outside to the parking lot. We're way over budget already, Mr. Darlton. This opening scene alone is costing us millions, and we've already given you incredible leeway for a television pilot. Look, you said I could do anything I wanted. That was the deal. Total creative control with no network interference. Yeah, about that, Mr. Darlton. Look, the network is very concerned about the scripts you've submitted for the season. What about them? Well, look at your story. Plane crashes, ghost visions, polar bears on a tropical island, that French stuff. And you won't answer any questions by the end of the season. Quite frankly, the network is concerned that we're going to hemorrhage audience if we don't answer. I think you're missing the point. With all due respect, sir, you're missing the point. You have to make some changes. At the very least, you're going to have to show the audience what's in the hatch in the season finale. Like hell I will, sir. Look, you tell the network that they can either leave me alone or fire me. But I'm not making any changes. In my scripts, whatever happens, happens. Darlton, who has by now reached his car and started the engine, drives off. Um, the network also has some concerns about how some of your more ethnic characters are portrayed. Darlton arrives at his home and slams the door behind him. A woman emerges from the kitchen, glass of McCutcheon whiskey in hand. Since I already know you don't want to talk about it, drink up. Just please tell me you haven't been fired. He drinks, and they share a moment of tenderness. Not yet, but it's probably coming. It's just that they don't realize how important this story is. It has to be told in just the right way, or else... Do you smell something? Suddenly, Darlton's wife collapses. The room begins to spin for Darlton, and he soon follows her into unconsciousness. It's dark for a moment. We hear whispering voices, but we can't quite make out what they are saying. Then we see Darlton's eye opening. He is tied to a wooden chair and gagged, his wife similarly restrained in the chair next to him. We pull out to reveal seven rows of six chairs, all with people, men, women, old, young, all ethnicities. All 42 people are bound to these chairs, which are on a raised platform in what is apparently the town square of a small makeshift village on the edge of a beach. We see all the worried, confused looks on the faces of the 42 as they begin to take in their surroundings. All around them, people are going about their business as if nothing odd is taking place. Exchanging greetings, laughing, eating, drinking, walking to and fro. But they are all dressed as if they've just come out of that famous painting a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jete. Umbrellas, corsets, Victorian-looking garb, you know. Suddenly, there's a sound of machinery, and a primitive trumpet blares in the distance. Everyone stops what they're doing and scurries over to the raised dais with the chairs. Next to the chairs, through a series of pulleys and levers, a man in a half-black, half-white robe is raised up, alongside a vertical Wheel of Fortune-type spinning device. There was a brief round of applause from the crowd, and then the man raises his hand. Silence. Good morning, all. Good morning, Mr. Surratt, the crowd replies in unison. It's time for the selection. We shall begin. He spins the wheel. Round and round it goes, eventually landing on number four. Please rise, number four. Nothing happens. The man in the robe nods, and two guards approach Darlton, then move past him quickly to his wife, who squirms in terror, before finally settling on the man next to her. They loosen his restraints and lift him to his feet. In the process, we see that Mrs. Darlton's gag has become dislodged, but wisely, or perhaps paralyzed with fear, she chooses to remain silent. The wheel is spun again, landing on 16. Please rise, number 16. As the guards go off, we see that there are indeed numbers painted on the floor of each chair and on the backs of each of the 42. Darlton is number 6. 
The spinning continues until six numbers have been drawn. I think you know which ones. All six are brought to the front of the platform. Thank you for volunteering. There's applause from the crowd, and immediately silence again. Your sacrifice will be remembered and rewarded. In a panicked voice, Mrs. Darleton turns to her husband and whispers, Where are we? Cut to black. Cue the lost graphic. Boom is right. Oh my, that was AJ Mass with his introduction for Lost 2. Like I said, a little bit different, taking a turn for the David Lynch somewhere in there. Very excited to have AJ on the podcast next week to explain to me what the frack that was, because I'm thoroughly confused by his pitch for Lost 2, but that's fun. That's unexpected, and that's going to be really cool to talk through. AJ is also going to talk about how he's watching Lost with his son for the first time. His son is now old enough to watch Lost, so I'm very curious to know how that experience is going. And I think we're going to talk about some Game of Thrones as well, so we will make sure to sound the spoiler alarms when we get to that part, but AJ has just binged through Game of Thrones for the first time, and he wants to talk about the experience of binging a show that maybe you should have been caught up on a little bit earlier and how everybody who's watching Lost now is probably and you know discovering Lost for the first time certainly now is binging through the show and that's the experience of people watching the show so I think it's going to be a very fun conversation with AJ Mass next week subscribe to what we are doing here on Lost Lives postshowrecaps.com slash lost iTunes is the way to do that send us your feedback postshowrecaps.com slash feedback or you can always send it to me on Twitter I am at round Howard three weeks of Lost Lives returns under our belt just a few more after this hope you guys are enjoying this ride as much as i am take care everybody goodbye